0: The special effects in uh, Total Recall are m- much more important than they were in Robocop. Robocop had a limited amount of special effects, I thought. Mostly with this other robot, Ed 209, the other big robot that he fights during the movie, which was of course one special effect thing. In, in Total Recall, where you have special effects on so many levels, you have it on the level of the of the mutants and the people that are growing out of other people, which is <laughs> really strange, I think on the, the fact that you are on the planet Mars, and I think that you believe that you are on the planet Mars because you see it, you're really there. You have it on the on, on, on so many different levels. And for me, it was, I mean, I felt as a much more complicated uh, special effect movie than Robocop. You
1: wanna sing, yeah, you wanna see, like when the Xenomorph took out Harry Dean. You wanna sing, yeah, you wanna see, like when Bobby D says you're talking to me.
0: Seen It All with Jeff and John. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Scene It All with Jeff and John, the podcast where we break down our favorite scenes from our favorite movies. I'm Jeff Glover. And I'm John Tabritsky. And in this episode, we are getting our asses to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. <laughs> That's right. We are talking about a scene from the 1990 sci-fi action Arnold Schwarzenegger classic... <laughs> total recall
2: your mind it is the center of your life it is everything you hear everything you see everything you feel it is everything you are how would you know if someone stole your mind? Arrest that woman!
0: <laughs> Quade, Cut. Get ready for a surprise. We can't let him run around. He knows too much. They've got your bug. I got a lock. There! And the bug's in your skull.
2: Ah! Take this
1: thing out of the case and stick it up your nose.
0: Don't worry, it's self-guiding. Got him.
2: I lost him. Welcome to Mars.
0: You got a lot of nerve showing your face around here. Look who's talking.
2: They erased your identity and implanted a new one. If I'm not me, who the hell am I?
1: He's got a hologram! Welcome to Johnny Cab. Drive! Where can I take you tonight? Please fasten your seatbelt. I want Clay delivered alive for
2: reimplantation. That's for making me come to Mars. You wouldn't hurt me after all. We're married. Consider that a divorce.
0: We hope you enjoyed the ride.
1: Yeah, you really almost told me about another movie there. Um, <laughs> right. I, I do have a real quick question, Jeff.
0: Uh uh-huh.
1: Have you brought any fruits or vegetables onto the planet?
0: Oh, man. He was so close until that fruits and vegetables <laughs> line. Oh. oh, Well, that is the scene we're going to be talking about. Well, part of the scene we're going yeah, to be talking about. Yeah, half of about. the scene we'll say. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is... Uh, this is almost an overwhelming movie to talk about for me. I, I don't know how it was for you, but um, my notes and and my my brain dump and getting prepared for this podcast was uh, pretty big. Um, this is a this is a big movie for me.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a big one for me too. When I was putting together the notes, I was realizing, oh, this is a lot more than just summarizing the scene like we normally do. There's so many intersections with this movie that yeah. we have. Personally, with our own podcast, the Predator Minute podcast, but also in my own life, and we'll talk about it with Nintendo Power and Philip K. Dick. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, what, what is your what is your history? It sounds like you have some.
0: Yeah, well, this has just always been one of my favorite. Arnold movies, one of my favorite sci-fi movies. Uh, I saw this, I did not see this theatrically. I was too young, mm-hmm. um, but um, I know I saw it probably on home video. Um, it was right around the age when my parents started kind of letting me watch whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then also just, you know, throughout the nineties, it was, it felt like it was just always somewhere on cable, you know, and it was just, it's one of the ultimate rewatchable movies for me. Like when I came across it on cable, I stopped and watched whatever scene it was on uh, sometimes just parked myself on the couch and finished it. You know um, mm-hmm. I'd watch it uh, with my dad. It was, it's also one of my dad's favorite Arnold movies. And even my mom admits that she kind of likes this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember uh, like several times sitting down specifically, to watch it from beginning to end, try to figure out if it was real or if it was a a dream, (laughs) Um, which I still don't think uh, I know the answer to, but I have my opinions, but um, (laughs) I don't know the answer, but I have my own answer. Right. Uh, But uh, no, it's just um, it's, it's up there. This is one of my, one of my faves. This is in, if I was to make a top 20 list, it would probably be in there. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love this movie and for many, many reasons that we will get into. But uh, how about yourself? Uh, do you have a, a history with this movie?
1: Oh, certainly. This is one I remember seeing at home, like you're saying, too young to see it in the theater, yeah. catching on HBO and maybe mm-hmm. even VHS at someone's house. Uh, but it definitely l- is in that Predator RoboCop, Camp, Die Hard, I would throw in there too, that late 80s early 90s action movies that are honestly even too intense sometimes to be just called action movies with Yeah, just how each one has just over the top violence uh, and it's just, just really intense scenarios for the hero. And <laughs> you could say a lot of collateral damage for most of those too.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I first caught one of this reading Nintendo Power magazines. I got the power, Nintendo Power. You got the power. I got the power. And in the 1990, I have it right here, the May, June 1990 issue, there was a player's poll contest where... <laughs> The grand prize was meeting Arnold on the set of his next movie. And this is, remember, 1990. So his next movie is Terminator 2. (laughs) Unless you're unlucky. (laughs) You're on the set of Kindergarten Cop. Right. (laughs) No. (laughs) If you remember, that was my guess for when you were setting up a 1990 Arnold movie. That's right. Kindergarten Cop also comes out in 1990. Whoa. That was a big Um, year for Arnold. huge year for Arnold. Um, But you can meet him you would be given an actual Martian police uniform, which I love just because the set design is so good. Um, But what I really remember from this opening up this two page spread for the players ball contest is the shot of Arnold wearing the yellow, the woman in yellows uh, suit basically, and just hanging from a pipe being sucked towards something or falling towards something. I remember seeing that image and just drove my mind nuts. Like I really need to see this movie and I think yeah. at the time the movie was like freshly in theaters and there's like we talked about no way I was going to see that in right. theaters. So something I had to wait for. Um, so that was my first exposure And anytime, And it's funny you chose the scene. Cause again, this is the one image that really stands out to me is him holding onto that pipe or whatever right. he's holding onto. He's
0: cool, wearing the and, yellow dress and exactly. Yeah, that is gone. Yeah. This yeah, image yeah. has
1: always been in my head. And yeah, I remember seeing it just being totally blown away by it, having no, having not a lot of, uh, other, I don't know what you'd call it, uh, experience with intense movies, yeah. except for those three, I mentioned Robocop, Die Hard, uh, Predator. Yeah. Um, but this, 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 this was a wild ride as a kid. And now that I watch it as an adult, there's just so many more things to pull at and find the background for. And yeah. I just found myself way too deep diving at, at some of these, uh, little scenes and little screenshots I was taking.
0: Yeah, we'll get into it. I have a feeling we're going to talk about this for a little bit before we get to the actual scene, because I definitely have some some questions I want to ask you (laughs) and some things to bring up. But um, just uh, before we move on, good on Nintendo for uh, advertising... This (laughs) R-rated, super weird, violent action movie to children, (laughs) giving it a two-page spread in their magazine. (laughs) Absolutely insane. We've talked about this before with movies like Robocop, another Verhoeven film, um, and other things in the 80s. They just felt like, oh, we'll just take this uh, IP and turn it into a kid's cartoon or a kid's action toy. It's crazy to think back
1: on. Each of those movies did have an NES release. You had Die yeah. Hard. You had Predator. Uh, you had this, Total Recall. You had Terminator. You had Terminator 2. I guess i throw Terminator as well into that, that mix. You had – Sure. I mis- mentioned Die Hard, but you had Friday the 13th. Um, some other ones I'm thinking of off the top of my head. Ooh, what was another one that popped up? Oh, Robocop two itself had an NES game.
0: Robocop like, two had an NES game. <laughs>
1: yes, what? and it wasn't just like, oh, this is the second NES game. No, it was like this is based on the movie.
0: <laughs> that movie <laughs> take so on goddamn violent. Oh my oh, god! It's,
1: yeah, it's violent and it's just mean. That is it's a mean, mean. movie.
0: It is. It's like it's,
1: doubling up on the satire and the meanness at the same time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> kids I have love not it. watched. And, and kids love it. Well, one of the bad guys <laughs> is a kid. So maybe they were like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh man. That movie's crazy. I, I have not watched that honestly in probably 20 years. I'd be curious to watch it again and see what my impression of is it now. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So Total Recall. Um. Total Recall is super weird. Mm -hmm. It's super weird. Like I watching it again, um, I've seen this tons of times, but just sort of watching it a little more objectively this time, I I'm kind of shocked that it was so successful with mainstream audiences. Mm
1: -hmm. Like
0: it is, there's some wacky stuff going on in this movie and it's really abstract with the whole idea that it might be real. It might be a dream and it's never really resolved. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's so many weird, so much. I, I made a list of weird stuff in this movie <laughs> when I was, <laughs> when I was watching it. So uh, this, the sets are amazing, but they are kind of weird in that we have this kind of odd mix between like futuristic looking uh, sets and technology with like a really sort of cold blocky, like almost Soviet feeling like a uh, sense mm-hmm. to it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, Oh Yeah. All the buildings are kind of like rectangular and concrete and gray. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But anyway, and then, of of course, like you have the Mars mutants. They're weird. You have (laughs) Quato. That's weird. (laughs) You have all the special effects are awesome. And we're going to talk about them, but they're super weird, too. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would even... uh, Go out to say that uh, although I I love him in the role and I can't see this movie with anybody else, Arnold is kind of a strange uh, actor to cast in this role, um, for some reasons I think. So this this movie has a lot of weirdness to it, and uh, I'm I'm still shocked that it was so successful and popular in 1990.
1: Yeah, it it does have a lot of weirdness, like you're mentioning uh, with. I mean, I would have to agree, Arnold at the center point, just this uh, huge, strong man, uh, overly confident. And and I think I think it definitely plays into those characteristics of his having a character who is really unsure of his own reality all of a sudden and doesn't have the answers. And uh, the strength really doesn't matter. Well, in most situations, (laughs) in a lot of situations in this movie, the strength really turns out to be an asset Right, (laughs) Uh, but it's it's really great seeing uh, Arnold really thrown around. Some we talked about it a lot in the Predator Minute podcast days of seeing him more in a vulnerable, serious role, and here he is taking that kind of vulnerable, serious role for a spin and adding that (laughs) amnesiac angle to it. Like he just is is, doesn't have the answers, as opposed to a plan just not going well, like happens over and over in Predator. Here, here we have a movie where he just doesn't, he just doesn't know who he is. I don't right. know who I am. Yeah. Who am I? Yeah. yeah.
0: And I don't want people to misunderstand me. Like I actually love Arnold in this movie. And yeah. this is one of my favorite performances by him. I think he's actually really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of history in the development of this movie. And they kicked around a lot of other actors. And none yeah. of them were like Arnold. Um, mm-hmm. And it was really, I mean, we can talk more about the history of the <laughs> development of this movie, because it's kind of crazy. But in the in the end, Arnold really kind of took control of the production and almost became like an executive producer and placed himself at the center of the movie. And, and he's the one that got Verhoeven to get on board. And, and, uh, and the movie kind of went from there. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. like in the original story, the Philip K. Dick story, it's like kind of a meager, like office drone kind of guy, right?
1: Yeah. It's an office drone. Uh, uh, I would say what total recall really takes from the short story is that first part really leading up to the implantation of the memory or when he visits recall and then a little bit after that. And then after that, it's like, that's the end of the story. It was truly a short story. It was, yeah, it was
0: only like 23 pages, right?
1: Yeah. You could, you could read it in just, yeah, half an hour. It, It moved by really quickly. I myself had like a, Philip K. dick kick. That sounds terrible. Uh, I had a,
0: you had a dick kick.
1: <laughs> I, I had a phase where I was reading a lot of Philip K. dick books and stories uh, probably, I don't know, 15 ish years ago. Mm, and I remember the reading old this. Dick phase.
0: <laughs> Sorry.
1: <laughs> the old dick phase. <laughs> it was a long dick phase. All right. I want to brag. It's good it wasn't a
0: short dick phase. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop.
1: It's like I'm reading, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I remember reading like the especially the big ones that they turned into movies. Uh, the big dick stories they turned into store to the movies like Do androids dream of electric sheep, which becomes Blade Runner. Blade Runner, right? Imposter with Gary Sinise, which is not that good of a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I read Paycheck, which was. The Ben Affleck movie that everybody joked around that, oh, it's just it's called paycheck because he's just doing it for the money. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh this one, we can remember it for you. Host Wholes- wholesale minority report. Yeah. Um The Man in the High Castle, which was like by far the hardest book I've ever read. Most difficult. Like it was really? just so hard to understand. If you watch the Amazon show that, that is based on that, it is equally confusing towards the end. With a lot of interdimensional stuff or just really Oof. Becomes less interesting. It's
0: like, nah. I think I watched the first two episodes of that and and it, I kind of lost interest and never picked it up again. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I stayed with it through the end to see how it ended. But once they go interdimensional, you know, alternating timelines, totally Philip K. Dick's Alley there yeah. to do that kind of stuff and, right, twin realities and all that is just, just kind of lost my interest. Um. But going back to this short story, yes, he's an office drone. He has memories implanted or so you think. And what happens is that, Oh no, the memories all along were real memories. They were just bringing to light or bring to life. Uh, and including like his very end, um, memory, which is something like, Oh, the little tiny Martian aliens are either attacking us or they need to be saved. I don't remember because I might be cross pollinating here with right. the movie, but then he thinks that those memories are being implanted and everybody learns all of a sudden, Oh, that was a true memory. And, they did they that kind of insert right there. It's it's not a big climactic ending like anything in this movie. It's it's pretty cut and dry. It's like, we need you to calm down, Quail. That's the name of the book. And Quail, you need to yeah. have this false memory implanted. He's like, okay. <laughs> and that, that, that's kind of it. Like I said, office drone. So he really sticks to his own drone personality. But there's a ton of good short stories out there, all these collections. My favorite has to be probably the the meddler it's called where someone's time traveling and they're trying, they're going to the future to find out, Oh, what's going on with the world? Like something caused it to come to an end. And then the more they jump back and forth, they realize, Oh, we're the ones who brought something like really destructive from the future into the past, into our own present. And all of a sudden like that in-game timeline is, is a lot closer now because we meddled too much. We brought the destructive force with us. And, And I remember just just really enjoying Philip K. Dick's short stories. There's, are so, they're so deep and like, they're very twilight zone. If you yeah. know your twilight zone, like black and white series where it's like a lot of them were like, Oh, this is really just about the cold war. This is really about Russian spies.
0: <laughs> right, uh, right.
1: Right. The, the aliens are spies or um, yeah. The shape-shifting thing is, is a spy, hmm. uh, but, but, but a lot of good short story material there, a lot of, and you can, like we talked about, there's, there's a lot of, or like I talked about, there's a lot of, um, source material that were turned in, into TV shows and movies, and even TV shows today with uh, Electric Dreams specifically on Amazon.
0: Yeah. Well, I wonder if it being so short is what made it take so long to develop. Because Ooh, yeah. what I read is that part of the reason, I, I think people had been working on the script for this story since like 1974 or something, I think. Yeah. I um, and like, scripts were kicked around and kicked around and kicked around. And one of the big sticking points was the third act. And, and people had to, like you said, had to develop the story beyond just the first act, which is basically what the Philip K. Dick story was. just the first third of the story. Mm-hmm. So they had to fill out the rest. And there was a lot of debate and there was a lot of um, disagreement about how, where the story should go and how it should end. Should they go to Mars? Should they not go to Mars? Um And uh, it sounds like scripts kicked around all through the 70s and uh, didn't really get a chance to actually get off the ground until like the 80s um, when, uh, if I'm reading, I'm trying to remember what I read here, that there was a a point where David Cronenberg almost directed this movie. Yeah, you could see it. You could see it in the mutants. (laughs) Absolutely, I, that I find that fascinating and there's, I would love to see the Cronenberg version of total recall. <laughs> would it be that different? <laughs> I think it would be, I think it would be way darker. Okay. And like, like, cause this movie is kind of a bright movie actually.
1: Yeah. It's bright. And you know, yeah, they're, they're, they're playing with a lot of the, the, Gosh, a lot of the serious things at hand. There's, there's a lot more tongue in cheek. I feel like in this movie yeah. than probably a Cronenberg movie.
0: Cronenberg would be a slower burn. It would be a, it'd mm-hmm. be darker and it would be gooier. Like, yeah, the effects would be like gross. Yeah, like, the mutants would be disgusting. Like Quato would like probably completely extract himself from the body <laughs> in yeah. like a, in a gooey mess. You know, that that's Cronenberg. But I'm, I'd be there for it. Like, right. In an alternate universe, if I could see Cronenberg's Total Recall, holy shit, I would watch the hell out of that. <laughs> but uh, in reading about that, even then, they did not envision someone like Schwarzenegger to be the lead. Like they kicked around names like Richard Dreyfus. Who, Richard Dreyfus? Oh, Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> Can you imagine who that is? Consider that a divorce. <laughs> Get your ass to Mars. <laughs> Get your ass to moss.
1: <laughs> See you at the party, Richter. <laughs> Sounds a little Casey Kasem.
0: A little, yeah, a little Casey. <laughs> Next up, spinning records at number five, <laughs> Quattro. Carl <Houser> writes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Richard Dreyfus, uh, William Hurt, Patrick Swayze.
1: I like Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze would be able to pull it off. That's
0: Patrick, a- it would be a different movie, but yeah, he probably could have done it.
1: Yeah, I think I think Patrick Swayze would, <clears throat> would do kind of like the Christopher Reeve, um, mm. Superman, Clark Kent transformation where he's able to play both characters, but he can carry himself, you know, so differently. Like maybe he's hunched over a little bit as the uh, the office drone, or I guess, and like Arnold, I guess maybe he's also a construction worker. We don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, but I could see Swayze, like he was pretty ripped at the time. He could be holding that jackhammer. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and doing all those stunts. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, his long flowy hair might've been distracting, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but a really fascinating Development timeline here, and as I was mentioning earlier, so it it, it didn't it kind of died for a while because Cronenberg decided he didn't want to direct anymore because of disagreements again about how the third act was going to look, mm-hmm. and uh, it gets picked up by Dino De Laurentiis's production company, um, and uh, that's when uh, Schwarzenegger really expressed his interest, and uh, but Dino De Laurentiis didn't want to cast him in the role. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't think he'd be right for it, but um, eventually, De production company had to file for bankruptcy, mm-hmm. and at that point, Arnold convinced Carol Co. Pictures, who made like uh, First Blood, didn't they make Terminator Two?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think they. Yeah, Terminator Two. I don't know if they made Terminator One.
0: Yeah, yeah. But anyway, Car- Carolco uh, Pictures pick it up. Uh, Schwarzenegger convinces them to do the picture with him in the lead, and at that point, like I was saying, he kind of took on an executive producer role. He got Verhoeven on board. He was instrumental in doing script rewrites. Um, he was instrumental in casting, and uh, kind of took do- took over the production of the movie, um, giving himself a pretty big salary in the process. And he also, <laughs> um, he also earned, I think it was 15% of the film's profits. Wow. So uh, he cleaned up because R- Total Recall, as we'll talk about, was the fifth highest grossing movie of, of 1990. So that was a, a shrewd business deal by uh, by Schwarzenegger.
1: Yeah. The name of his autobiography, if you remember, is Total Recall.
0: hmm is it really? That's
1: great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's great. But it's it's really it's really interesting to see that he had this kind of pull where he could direct, not direct, but I mean, direct the forces behind the making of a movie, and and like you said, a movie of such caliber that is making just tons and tons of money, um, which somehow doesn't start a franchise. I, I'm curious how this didn't start a franchise. Maybe it's just yeah. the wrong time for it. Yeah. But there's 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 definitely uh, ground here to build from, to build, you know, lots of stories and little side spin-offs of what's happening on Mars.
0: That's such a good point. I, I don't think I've really thought about that, but you're right. It's that Total Recall is like screaming, at least at the time, it's like screaming for a sequel. Yeah. Of how successful it was and how kind of open-ended the end of it was. But it it was an incredibly expensive and time-consuming movie. Yeah. And maybe by the time a sequel was considered, the world of movie making had shifted. And, you know, I imagine it would have been heavy on the C like you know late 90s CGI, Mm -hmm. which maybe was a good idea they didn't do that, because it probably would have sucked.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, right after this, like we said, ninety-one, that's T2, so maybe that is kind of taking that sci-fi baton and running with it because T2 turns into video games and movies and action figures and lunch boxes and thermoses and sunglasses. (laughs) Oh, the sunglasses,
0: the sunglasses. You have to think though, like reading about the production of this, that this must've been a pretty big turning point in Arnold's career because after this movie, I mean, no one can say that Arnold doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. You know, like, he took over this film. He, he, like I said, he was, you know, pretty much in charge of of almost all aspects of getting it produced. And mm-hmm. at that point, you've kind of written yourself a blank check. Like, hey, look what I can do! I just made this movie that made hundreds of millions of dollars, and I did it. And so, what do you want me to do next? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm hmm. Trying to look at his
1: filmography real quick. Not, not that I don't know it by heart of course
0: but yeah well after you know total recall he like you said does he do kindergarten cop before or after this in 1990
1: uh it shows up as after it but it's still like you said same year
0: yeah and then t2 comes out in 91 right mm-hmm. yeah and uh you know it's he it goes from there like what a run that's yeah.
1: Crazy. yeah 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 um trying to focus where we are now okay
0: yeah sorry i kind of went as went off on a uh Developments oh. tangent there. <laughs> no. Um, oh, I meant to ask. Okay. So, did you read any uh, Philip K. Dick back in
1: the day, or presently? I never
0: have. No, I never have okay. read any of his stories.
1: Okay. I, yeah. I th- like I said, I think they're pretty easy. Most of them are pretty easy to pick up, especially like the sci-fi short stories, uh, because he just masterfully crafts a setting and just you know a couple paragraphs, and then twenty or thirty pages later. Uh, you already want to know more about the situation. But by then he is just, again, masterfully putting it into it. Like, that's it. That's all you're going to know about this yeah. universe, this world, this crew. And that is the end.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I would be, it'd be fun to go back and read some of those, having seen some of the movies that came from them, you know, like Blade <laughs> Runner. Um, it, it sounds like these adaptations of his stories kind of exists. Sort of like Stephen King adaptations do, where some of them are really, really good and and others kind of flop or the, the vision of the story isn't quite realized onto the screen very well. You know, yeah. You know. I just remembered in talking about the sequel that Minority Report was originally developed as kind of a Total Recall sequel, I think.
1: Yeah, but itself Minority Report, the actual story was its own standalone.
0: Oh, they were just going to story. They were just going to try to like jigsaw them together.
1: Yeah, they're going to try to work in the whole like future police angle,
0: hmm. um,
1: which would have been cool because it would be nice to have a total recall too to talk about, and if Arnold's right. in it, like doubly good or triply good.
0: I would watch the shit out of that too.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I found <laughs> same. I, I found um, just a really short list of some of the things to look for in Philip K. Dick's work, which is nice because then if you look at the movies and the shows that, that are based on those works, you can see a lot of these same ideas, mm, these okay. uh, themes, things like uh, false realities. You think about okay. um, total recall. Of course you think about imposter who, Right. It, it, have you ever seen Imposter?
0: Uh, maybe if I okay. if I have, it was a long time ago, and I don't remember anything about it.
1: <laughs> right, and Gary Sinise run around.
0: Yeah, like, okay. He,
1: he's like, I, I'm not, I'm not an alien, or I'm not a robot, or whatever. And like, by the very end minute of the movie, you're like, oh yeah, he was. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, Blade Runner, of course. Like, there's always this question. Much like in this movie, there's the question at the end, like, are these people real or yeah. Are they replicants? Yeah. Um men in the high castle talked about having dimensions different like twin realities uh but you also have other themes like human versus machine in Philip K Dick's work you have yeah,
0: another blade runner yeah
1: yeah blade runner blade runner Braid runner. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You have entropy or just kind of the natural order of things falling apart. Mm, Just the mm -hmm. the, right. The will of the universe to kind of keep spreading out kind of uh, at a slow collapsing rate, essentially Yeah, Uh, the nature of God. I'm not really sure where that comes into total recall. Hmm. Uh, Yeah. Total recall is a
0: little, a little more about uh, authoritarian governments, right? Yeah. Which is,
1: which would be the social control here is one of his themes. Oh,
0: there you go. Yeah.
1: Um, let's see other ideas and motifs I'll, I'll just stick to one which is know thyself which is perfect for this movie uh, it's perfect for even Minority Report where it's just him running around I didn't kill my wife or <laughs> whatever he says and that's very very like fugitive give me back my wife give <laughs> <Get laughs> her back now we're mixing Mel Gibson in there I love it
0: give <laughs> her back Give me back my wife. I mean, my son. Wait, my wife. I don't know. Give this people air. I don't know. Give me something. (laughs) give me something to shoot. Give this people air. But
1: another another work that popped out to me was ones called Screamers. I've never seen Screamers, but have you seen Screamers?
0: Screamers. What year was Screamers made?
1: Screamers. Uh, Well, I'd have to.
0: I've heard of Creepers,
1: and I've heard of. Fidget spinners, um, <laughs> 1995, Ooh. starring Peter Weller. Oh, what? and nobody else who you would screamers. Recognize. I just nobody looked else. up
0: the cover, and it does not look familiar to me in any way, shape, or form. But
1: the cover is, is someone looks like screaming.
0: Yeah, and there's I'm some funny. other images here that are a little off-putting. Eek.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, I, I
0: don't know that movie. Screamers. Huh.
1: Screamers. Okay. That one popped out because I, I didn't recognize it. And I thought, oh, that sounds like a horror movie right up Jeff's alley.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it does not. It does. I'm surprised I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, perhaps I will have to check out some Philip K. Dick stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So speaking of themes, can we talk about some of the themes in Total Recall?
1: Yeah, let's
0: talk about some of the themes in Total Recall. So, I—that's another layer that I think is really interesting about this movie—is and, and Verhoeven is kind of a master of this, and we see this in his sort of unofficial, tril- you know, sci-fi trilogy: Robocop, Total Recall, Starship Troopers. Mm-hmm. Um, that are all concerned with one. There's always some satire, um, but they all involve like authoritarian governments mm-hmm. um, and like privatization privatization of, (laughs) um, you know, like privatization of military or like in Robocop, it's the police or the attempted privatization of the police. But here, yeah, (laughs) but here in in total recall, there's a real focus on like colonization. Yes. Right. And the, and so you've got this evil corporation that has set up uh, on Mars and they are systematically oppressing the people that live there, while simultaneously exploiting the land and the planet for its uh, valuable resources, right? Turbidium. <laughs> yeah, right. And the money that's made from these uh, valuable resources, of course, does not trickle down to the people at all. It is controlled by a small group of powerful people. And uh, as the people revolt, as the resistant uh, fighters try to organize, they are branded as terrorists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. So... Um, it's. I think it's a real interesting commentary on uh, government and colonization and authoritarian rule that sort of just uh, sits in the background of this movie um, all throughout it, you know.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's a good catch. Um, I noticed the same thing in Robocop the last time I watched that. I think it was mm. at the theater with you. That's the last time I think I watched Robocop. Oh, was. yeah, just that was great. These little things in the background, like there's the running thing with like people – like snorting the nuke or whatever that drug is called i think it's called nuke yeah um and it's yeah. it's never they never bring it to attention other than like oh there's a little plant where they're illegally making it i think yeah uh, but there's never a scene where it's like it's a war on nuke it's a war on drugs but the, that's always there yeah. uh, plus the just the vicious right police state versus crime uh happening there
0: and the corruption with the the people within the company like working hand in hand with the criminals on the street yeah, know, behind the scenes. yeah. And,
1: and when that kind of thing happens, it's like, I think that's what adds to the density of a movie like this, where they're not drawing all the attention to the colonization as much as it is just like, Oh, it's a pain in the ass trying to colonize Mars <laughs> right. when people are fighting back all the time. You're not hearing like, Oh, we fight against colonization because it's more like, well, we're being exploited and we also maybe don't like colonization. Um, <laughs> right. But it, it seems to be that they're fighting back more because they're being exploited and the resources are being taken versus like people just settling there. And it's just like, like you're saying it's in the background, which helps makes this a really dense movie. There's all sorts of set design. There's things that the people are wearing that again are not brought attention to. And I think that was a big part of Verhoeven's, Verhoeven's vision.
0: Yeah,
1: Verhoeven's vision is um, putting this, Yes, in a sci-fi time or like a future time. 2084. Making, 2084, which you see on the stamp on the passports. Yeah. Um, but it's not so sci-fi where everything is streamlined and electronic and just the high, high tech. It's just kind of like, oh, that's like the high tech that we would pump out yeah. today. It's like functional, but it's not like nice looking. That's uh, but a, that, yeah. oh, oh, just, I'm sorry just, to no, no problem. Just finishing up. Just like uh, you see that in the aesthetics throughout and, and what people are wearing and in the backgrounds and the structures and the cars they're driving and the guns they're firing.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's an excellent point. And we, we talked about that a lot when we were doing alien, right? Mm-hmm. Some of yeah. these same themes where for so many years The future was depicted as this clean, pristine, you know, sort of like these utopian societies. And uh, we see this transition as we get to the 80s and 90s where people, you know, think that's probably not the case, right? (laughs) It's going to be dirty and messy and and it's going to get ugly sometimes. And like this movie is that way. Like it's not clean. Like there's... I mean, you go to Mars, and there are people that are literally mutants because they're not getting enough clean air. Give this people air, and it has uh, caused their their bodies to deform. Like mm-hmm. it's pretty dystopian, in all honesty. It's uh, I I do I, I love that. I mean, it's it's a kind of a dark vision for the future, but um, it's way more interesting, I think.
1: Just Mars is uh, it, it paints Mars as this exotic place to go, but not somewhere you'd want to stay. And uh, I think maybe we're meant to think of like other places in the world like that, like maybe third world countries like that, where it's like, Oh, they have like this nice place set up for you to come visit and go swimming at the beach, but you don't leave the premises. Yeah. You don't really interact with the locals at all.
0: Yeah. You don't leave <laughs> the resort.
1: <laughs> you don't leave the resort. Yeah. And Arnold leaves a resort in a big way.
0: Yeah. He does yeah, and there's a lot of parallels to be drawn here to like European and American uh influences like going to Africa and setting up shop and and mm-hmm. mining there and exploiting the land and not really taking care of the people that are in the country that they are exploiting you know there's there's a lot that uh, there's a lot of reality that you can kind of draw some lines to here between this fiction and our reality so. I think it's pretty interesting to to look at it through that lens.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I have to wonder then what, what drew, I don't know if you found anything, what drew uh, Verhoeven specifically to this story other than mm-hmm. was it Arnold's idea to bring him in because Arnold loved RoboCop so much? That's what I saw in the notes. But I, I just have to wonder why did Verhoeven have such, uh, uh, see this like, little tiny story as uh, worthy of his vision of uh, putting on the big screen.
0: Yeah. Well, you have to think that it kind of probably played towards his sensibilities, right? He saw mm-hmm. this movie and uh, in a lot of ways it's, you know, it's the stories don't line up, but it's kind of uh Verhoeven's RoboCop 2, you know, like mm-hmm. a lot of the same themes here. Like we said, that it's set in sort of a dystopian future, Um, He's got a vehicle for tons of violent action that he can get in there. Um, Mm -hmm. Lots of interesting special effects he can work in. Um, All that Verhoeven weirdness that he can get in there. And um, a massive budget that he can play with. Right. So probably a lot lot that was really appealing to him. Even though he said he wasn't going to do any more sci-fi films after Robocop, this would be a tough one to turn down.
1: Yeah, 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 and it's it's he he does it really well, and, and of course he makes Starship Troopers, which he, he another, might categorize yeah. as sci-fi.
0: Yep, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> dip back into that well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we should probably get to the scene soon that we're going to break down <laughs> because right. we've been talking about Total Recall now for forty minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we do, I, I am going to bring up one more thing that we haven't really talked about. Yeah. Um, the special effects. Ooh. I think the special effects in this movie are really outstanding. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't know, there's a style to them that I think is really, really unique. Mm-hmm. I, I find a lot of the special effects, especially the special effects on people. Um, a lot of the, like the mutant special effects and like, yeah. we're going to talk about Arnold pulling the tracker out of his nose and, and uh the woman that turns into the bomb, the two weeks lady, it's all kind of like, do you feel this way? It's all a little bit off-putting. Like it's all a little weird and like looks real, but looks kind of fake, but also looks real. And like, it's, it's kind of weird, but man, it just like gives this movie a certain vibe, a certain flavor that it's hard to put your finger on, but it's there.
1: Yeah. I, I, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. It just, (laughs) I just keep thinking about the mutants and like you, you grow up watching or reading comic books about X Men, you're like, ah, oh, being a mutant would be cool. Then you come away from this movie, like, <laughs> like oh, no. being a mutant would suck.
0: Yeah, like, <laughs> my face is folded over my eye, like, what right, the fuck?
1: got some nerves showing your face here. <laughs> look who's talking, look
0: who's talking.
1: <laughs> but, oh, but no, no, you're right, It it does really. It does, it does put a certain stamp of style yeah. when you're able to see the light hit things in a special effects shot where it's not just like, you know, light having to be artificially bending around things. It's just, boom, it's there. It's on the screen. Someone sat in the makeup chair to yeah. have this, you know, fake arm, to have the thing folded over their head, to have the three boobs.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like when, when the cab driver, Benny reveals his mutant arm It's all like folded in on itself and gross. Oh my god! And then just you know the reveal of Quato. This that's so weird, dude. This movie's so weird. (laughs) And Quato's (laughs) like this. This uh, how would you describe Quato? A psychic mutant that's growing out of the abdomen of his own brother. (laughs) Like yeah. But but I, I guess Verhoeven admitted that the Quato was the most difficult of all the special effects they did. Oh sure. And that 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 puppetry took 15 different puppeteers to move it around and make it work and and make it look real in the scene. So, I don't know. It you know, they won an academy award for the visual effects in this movie which I think is deserved. Oh wow. yeah. But um uh, even more than just being good special effects, I think there is definitely a like you said, there's a there's a style, there's a there's a stamp that these effects put on this movie that's that's hard to describe in words but it's there and and it's it's an important part of the movie
1: yeah it's yeah it wouldn't be the same movie
0: without exactly yeah right the the
1: the these kind of special effects but also like just the -the over-the-top violent special effects like richter's arms being ripped off the the terrible decompression scenes which happen what three different times once in the Beginning.
0: Anytime uh, squibs go off and like oh, people are just getting shot to shit.
1: So know? many squibs. We have we have headshot squibs. Oh like, my god! Probably the hardest of the squibs to pull off. I <laughs> <would've happened. laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. When Arnold is on the escalator and they're having that gunfight, and he just starts <laughs> grabbing innocent bystanders yeah and uses them as a human shield. I was like, yes. the, oh my God. And there's just squibs exploding blood everywhere. I was like, Holy shit, dude. Yeah. It's like that Robocop boardroom scene times 10.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I was talking about. That kind of collateral damage that these eighties, yeah. nineties action movies would have where there are the people being gunned down and you're not left to think like you're not, you're not left to feel necessarily sorrow for the loss of life that just random innocent loss of life you're just like in shock because of it yeah it's meant to be just hanging your jaw just not knowing uh how to react yeah here's here's arnold actively participating um <laughs> i think to be fair what people point on the comments is the guy has been shot a couple times already right <laughs> and arnold's just i don't know Really driving that point home. Like, oh, you're dead, you're
0: dead, you're fine. Yeah, it's still brutal, though. Like, who sees someone get shot and is, like, instantly like, well, you're dead anyway, and grabs him and uses him as a human shield. It's so crazy. Mm.
1: Yeah, Quato has a headshot.
0: Yeah, that's right. Jeez. Yeah. So, really great stuff. We could spend all day talking about the special effects. Um, Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, a really fun one to go rewatch and if anyone out there hasn't seen total recall in a while i I highly recommend it i I also highly recommend picking up the 4k transfer because it looks great Mm. on a a 4k screen so well um with all that said should we dive into part one of our scene here did you have anything else to add before we get going i don't think so
1: i guess we need to talk about what scene we're talking about
0: that's true yeah (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are going to talk about – now, it's hard – if you're picking a scene from this movie, you kind of have to pick the scene with the uh, the lady and the two weeks. Two weeks. Um, and taking her head two off because it's one of the more standout scenes in the film. It's very memorable. It's cool special effects. But I wanted to talk about a little bit more than just that scene because that's actually kind of a short scene. Mm-hmm. So I decided to include a few minutes prior to that – when we get, uh, Quaid is in the abandoned cement factory, and uh, this scene's gonna start around 40 minutes and 33 seconds. And it's when he's, it's the tail end of when he's talking to himself or he's watching a video of himself, giving him um, instructions on how to get the tracker out of his nose and uh, that he has to go to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. And so we'll start there. We'll see him pull the tracker out of his nose. We will then transition to Mars and the airport scene, and we'll talk about the... Uh fat lady costume and the, uh, <laughs> the head that he removes.
1: <laughs> oh, I mean, it's such a bummer she has to live with or she had to live but she's dead now. Um, but she had to live with the title. It's like a real life living breathing person and <laughs> the whole joke is Arnold could fit inside of her.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was watching a behind the scenes like little like half hour documentary of this movie mm-hmm. and they brought this scene up and they just cut to Arnold sitting in a chair and he's got like a cigar in his mouth and he looks at the camera and smiles he goes the fat lady (laughs) and then they cut back to the scene and the director talking like, oh my god poor lady she's (laughs) the fat lady I know I know it's a shame it also made me laugh though so I'm part of the problem (laughs) (laughs) how dare you I know (laughs) All right. well um, scene one part one of
1: scene of the scene part part one of, of scene
0: scene part one Mm. All right, here we go, everybody. We're going to start at 40 minutes and 33 seconds and go until 43 minutes and 26 seconds. We see Douglas Quaid. He's sitting in an abandoned cement factory, watching the "quote unquote" real him, real name Carl Hauser, on a laptop. Hauser tells Quaid, "It's all up to you." As we cut to Richter and Helm's point of view, as they, along with a couple of squad cars, drive up the burning jo- drive up to the burning Johnny Cab and the cement factory. Helm tells Richter of a weak signal being picked up in the factory. We cut back to the Quade Hauser talk, and Hauser tells Quade he has to remove the tracking bud bug from his head. Quade sticks a grabber tool up his nose and removes a giant glowing tracking bug. The bug is encased in a sphere which opens to reveal the bug to Quade. We cut to Richter and Helm tracking what they think is Quade cut back to the laptop hauser telling quade get your ass to mars get your ass to mars hauser goes into a little bit of detail about what quade should do on mars and then hauser's video ends quade takes the towel off his head as he sees the police and richter approaching from the distance quade shoves the rest of the case's contents back into the case as richter and helm close in on quade's location Quaid smashes the laptop and sticks the tracker into a candy bar. He tosses the bar to some nearby rats. We cut to Richter and Helm and some cops running to where Quaid just was using a handheld tracking device to locate the bug. They round the corner and start shooting into the room where Quaid was, but Quaid is now gone. They repeatedly fire to wherever the tracking bug, bug is moving, ending when Richter grabs Helm's flashlight to reveal that the rats have been pulling the Mars bar, now with the tracking bug around the room richter realizes the bug has been removed from quade's head as hauser's get your ass to maw's plays to on repeat get from get the laptop and richter shoots the rats spraying the laptop with blood as the screen fades out kind of a mean uh, way to end that scene shooting the old rats
1: yeah, I'm, I'm watching the scene right before this too and leading up to it. Arnold's not much nicer to the rats. Uh, if you remember, he sets the laptop down when he first enters the factory and then he, yeah. he sweeps what looks to be a bunch of actual living rats moving around. He sweeps them right off of <laughs> the boxes so he can uh, open up the briefcase and go through the contents. Get there. out so, of here. Get out of here,
0: rats. Rats. <laughs> but he
1: does feed them later, so he's not as bad as Richter.
0: This is one of the parts where their kind of uh, ideas about the future sort of panned out, right? Like the the folding laptop with the screen on it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool.
1: They way got, cool. Yeah, yeah they, way they got, cool.
0: I remember seeing that as a kid, and I was like, "Whoa!" Like that that effect has held up.
1: It's just video screens nonstop throughout this movie. It
0: really is. Yeah. People,
1: people, people like have the, also the ring doorbell thing. Uh, you're constantly seeing like who's at the door through the video screens. Yeah. Um, I think that's best used when Lori and Quaid are fighting uh, where she's like, right. Like trying to distract him from looking behind him at the video screen. As soon as he looks back, he sees the guys coming in from, the front door. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, it's just, just really well, well sprinkled throughout this movie, that, that video technology.
0: It really is. Uh, You know, like when they're in the apartment at the beginning and they, the, the quote unquote window is really a screen where they kind of change what, what they're looking out of, you know, Mm -hmm. that's that, that look, that's always really cool too. Mm -hmm. You bring up Sharon Stone. I don't mean to get off track from our scene, but we haven't talked about really many, many of the, the side characters yet. Or right. any of the other actors or actresses, I just don't want to get through this podcast without mentioning that Sharon <laughs> Stone is like low key MVP of this movie. I think she's so good in this movie.
1: Oh, she's she's so good. She's what we call the femme fatale. She's bad
0: ass in this movie. in a
1: noir, and and this is like I don't know. I don't see the word noir thrown around with Total Recall very much, but it's right. totally uh, this mystery noir, uh, at least in the first half of the movie, and she's playing. Uh, Right. That the innocent wife turned femme fatale as soon as he goes to recall.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She's just so good. I I, I think she's completely believable in her role. Um, she's a really good actor and um, does a lot of her own stunts and, and does mm-hmm. a really great job with it. So uh, kudos to you, Sharon Stone. You kind of steal every scene that you're in.
1: Oh yeah, she's kicking Arnold and punching him and the Nads. She's she's giving him the business.
0: She really is.
1: Yeah, but but I'm your wife or whatever she says. She's she's uh, very good. Just just this really intimidating bad guy. Once she makes her turn.
0: Yeah. All right. So speaking of uh, other uh, actors in this movie, in, in this scene we uh, we get some Michael Ironside. Yes. He's a great villain in this movie.
1: Oh, he's, he's, he's wonderful. He's just so snotty and, yeah. and just mean. And he always seems like he's just in a bad mood.
0: <laughs> he always is. I wrote in my notes, I wrote, he's a good combination of bully, enforcer, and a yes man.
1: Yeah. He's, he's a yes man who, like, is always thinking, like, uh, it's my turn soon. Like, I'm going to be the big shot right. uh, in a matter of no time. Right. But right. So he but has he's, a temper. He's, he's shooting rats. He, he constantly wants... <laughs> Houser slash Quaid dead, even though Cohagan doesn't want him dead.
0: Well, and he's also like low key, like pissed off that Houser uh, slash Quaid has been boning his wife. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, yeah. so he's got that in the back of his mind. He's not happy about that.
1: <laughs> no, no, he's not. Yeah, ha- he, uh, Helm, his buddy, makes a, a joke to that.
0: Yeah, keeps on ribbing him about it. No, I'm, yeah. sure, she, I'm sure she hated it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I'm sure she my, hated every inch of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one of my favorite lines. I love that. No, oh, I'm sure she hated it.
0: I want that fucker dead. I don't blame you, man. I wouldn't want a guy like Quade porking my old lady. You saying she likes it? No, I'm sure she hated every minute of it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, they they, they make for uh, I, I don't know. I like them as a little uh, duo baddie couple running yeah. around. Yeah, yeah, I
0: agree. Yeah, they're they're good.
1: The, the, yeah, the first half of this movie before Helm meets his end at uh, the what is the bar called? The last resort
0: mm. to, <laughs>
1: to Thumbelina.
0: The last resort to Thumbelina. Think, yeah.
1: Melina. <laughs> well, there's Thumbelina, who's the midget, and then there's oh, Melina, right? Right. right. <laughs> his, his dream woman.
0: I forgot about Thumbelina. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, the other great. the other guy uh, there with the folded face is um oh shoot, what's his name? Dean, he, Norris. Dean Norris from Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah. He's, it's always good to see him.
1: He just does <laughs> not. I mean, even looking past, trying to look past the folded face, I just don't see Dean Norris in uh, Tony's face there. No, he's so, so
0: young there too. Yeah, yeah, that's part of it. You got a lot of nerve showing your face around here, Hauser. Look who's talking. All right, well, uh, back to our scene. (laughs) We keep on getting off track. Uh, The the whole purpose of including the scene, really, in my mind, was to talk about this nose tracker that he extracts. Yeah. Yeah. So he... he (laughs) Extracts. (laughs) So he has to shove this extraction device up his nose. Mm -hmm. Uh, Since the first time I saw this when I was a kid, I always found that to be so off-putting because that... When he, like, hits the button before he puts it in the nose, it shows, like, this thick, like, like screw that comes out of the top of it. And then the little claw, like, extracts. And it looks so big. And I'm like, you can't shove that up your nose. Like, that's not going to fit up there. No. <laughs> but but uh, Hauser says, when you feel the crunch, you're there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh my gosh yeah it's just so visceral and not just visual but also they do give a little crunch
0: they do there's a
1: little (laughs) (laughs) be careful noise you say when you hear it. just be careful it's my head too be careful it's my head too
0: Yes, my head too. Don't I, I, worry; it's self-guiding. <laughs> self-guiding. Self-guiding.
1: <laughs> yeah, is it? Where do you think this bug is in his nose? Is it in his sinus cavity? That's the only room I can think of that he has that he's somehow not able to
0: feel. It must be. It, this is a, one of the stranger parts of this movie that I think is never explained. Like, there's a couple questions here. One, you're right. Where where is this tracker? Like shoved way up in his sinus cavity wouldn't he have like felt it if it was up there? Like that's crazy. And two, why is it so big? Why is it in this sphere that he has to like stretch his nose out so wide to pull it out? Like, and it seems like when he gets it out, the sphere just opens up and the actual tracker itself is much smaller.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Why did I just put that in there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Why is it encased in the sphere? (laughs)
1: Yeah. It looks like it has blood on it too. When he takes it out.
0: Yeah. So it's
1: not like the sphere is doing anything to, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I think maybe the sphere is supposed to waterproof it in a way or something like that, because they say wrapping the wet towel helps muffle the signal
0: sign. Yeah, there you go. Maybe so. I Uh, think it's all just a reason to have this crazy special effect here when he's, Uh, when he's pulling this thing out of his nose, this is another one where like, the the practical effects here make the whole scene a little off-putting because mm-hmm. it's hard to tell how much is actual Arnold's face and how much is like uh, a prosthetic model that he's pulling through. Mm-hmm. His mouth is all like big and wide and his tongue is moving back and forth. Uh. And, and I can't tell if that is prosthetic, like if the whole head is prosthetic or if it's part prosthetic and part actual Arnold's head, I couldn't find anywhere a full explanation of this to answer my questions.
1: I don't know. Yeah, I've been did- wondering about that because you mentioned watching behind the scenes. I would I would think they would mention this. I think as soon as you see the glowing red and then it cuts away, then back to the glowing red. I think both of those times, as soon as you see the glowing red, yeah. And he pulls it out, even when he pulls it away from his face toward the camera, I think that's still a I don't say miniature Arnold head, but I guess. A do you think the Arnold
0: whole head. head is prosthetic? The whole thing? Oh, is absolutely. Small? You do? Okay.
1: Absolutely. The, the the teeth are too. I don't know. The teeth are too. They're like really, really far like apart looking.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there's like a lot of space in between the teeth. I feel like. Am I or am yeah. I just making that up in my head?
1: Yeah, I and think I, there's more space than usual because, like, right after that, you see his actual head. Um, it's, it's funny because both the scenes you picked, I, he clearly has a fake head in both.
0: He does. Parts of, this, is, of the, this is this is this
1: part one and part two.
0: This is a fake head done two ways. This is a a duo <laughs> of fake heads.
1: Well, I, I think you actually see a fake Arnold head also in the part two of the scene you chose here. The one you two. do. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. It's, it's, and that, that one's I don't like that one nearly as much as I like this fake head.
0: Yeah, that one is pretty clearly a fake head, but um, it's. I, I think it has. Uh, well, I, we'll talk about it when we get there. I, I think it's the whole thing is impressive and what they were able to pull off. But yeah. but yeah, there's just some some elements that just didn't quite get there. But yeah, we'll are talk
1: there about it. are there other movies – I know Terminator and Terminator Two. He has to be having a, a fake head, right? I know Terminator for sure. There's the famous scene where he's in the mirror and he's he's having to scoop out his broken eyeball so that. He can wear
0: sunglasses finally. I don't remember. Well, in T2, there's the famous scene when he's up on top of the building and he's firing down at all the police uh, cars with the old painless, basically. Right. And I think there's part of that scene where they're just wheeling a prosthetic version of him down the hallway holding that gun while he's getting shot by the police. Oh, I think I feel like I've seen that in the behind the scenes I could be making this up but I feel like they uh-huh. they built like a, a an Arnold Terminator from the waist up and put it on a rig so they could like push it down the hallway and have squibs exploding all over it um, I, I right. think I, I, I maybe have to double check that that's what they did but I feel like I've seen that in a in a T2 behind the scenes before yeah is that
1: so they didn't have to really shoot Arnold
0: I think so yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> they just shot the animatronic.
0: Yeah, just saw, just shot the model. Yeah,
1: I was just trying to think of other movies where Arnold has a, has had a fake head. Like at, least, at least those three. At right. least this and the two, the first two Terminators, and that, that's pretty good. I mean, that's a pretty good run
0: of it's got to be the most fake, fake heads head. of any actor.
1: You think that's why he t- he took this part? He's like, "All right, Paul, oh, another need, fake head. I need I need multiple fake heads in this
0: movie. Ah, I gotta up my fake head count. You have I've to got fame, them all on my man- I got them all on my mantle. Please, <laughs> I need more fake heads.
1: <laughs> uh, I, I'm sure this has to be part of the whole knowing thyself uh, motif or theme as well. Is like you're literally going like into the brain cavity yeah. right here to, to pull this tracker. So it, it's more like pulling maybe your true self out of your false self or pulling the falseness out of the, the true self. Mm. It's kind of just digging for that meaning Cause I love that. And Verhoeven is definitely one who's going to put that there for you to find.
0: Yeah. All the while you have our main character talking to themselves. Oh, on a laptop. Right. That's the other
1: thing um, I want to mention. He is fully bought into what he is supposedly saying to himself, Right. like <laughs> three minutes into this conversation, stick this big tool up your nose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: He doesn't even hesitate really. <laughs> like this is such a
1: great convoluted Batman style plan. To get like, if you back up and think about the whole plot, to get, to get this guy to Mars, like here's what you're gonna do. Like, you couldn't just put him on Mars in the first place. No, no, he has to find, his has to dream of Mars. He has to go to Recall, which I guess was not part of the plan. I'm still on. True, uh,
0: couldn't you just uh, knock him out and just <laughs> take him to Mars?
1: Yeah, yeah, wipe his memory and then. Yeah, I guess I mean, uh, If I really think about it, oh, they put him on Earth so they can really build up this false sense of security that he is someone else. So when he goes to Mars, he's only going without the recall, without the memories being jostled. It's just because like he's been told to go to Mars. So he goes to Mars, and then yeah. he's being led around. But well, there's and it's it's hard for me to think about the entire, like I said, Batman esque plot and how yeah. it was plotted out by Hauser and Cohagen
0: in the first place. And to confuse things even more, there's sort of two narratives that are battling against each other, right? Mm-hmm. You've, I mean, you've got Melina and uh, her side of the story, which is that Hauser met Melina and realized that he was playing for the wrong team right. and that he he, <laughs> sh- he he should now use his knowledge of what Cohagen is doing to bring down the whole organization, Right. And in response to that, uh, Cohagen wipes his memory and shoves him off to earth and within a dead end job with a wife and just hopes to stash him there. Like that's mm-hmm. one explanation, but there's another explanation that Cohagen gives later on, which is that Hauser voluntarily decided, like agreed to have his memory wiped. So he could be used as like a mole in the resistance Right. And that as soon as like his work there was done, they were going to, they're going to re implant his Hauser memories and personality and bring him back onto the organization. And you'd never really know which one is true. Right. It adds like a, an extra layer of complications to the story, uh, extra layer of mystery that again, they don't, they really don't ever explain. And, um, uh, adds to this um, on top of the whole, is it a dream? Is it an odd dream? It makes it very confusing.
1: (laughs) Well, okay. So, okay. So I've always been kind of confused about this order. You mentioned having his memory wiped and then going to the Martians. I think that order has to make sense because he says the whole reason that happens um, after everything is revealed, after they do the whole like, aha, we're really best friends, Hauser and Kohagen. Right you find out, Oh, the reason, a big reason they had to wipe his memory. So the mutants wouldn't be able to psychically sense that he's lying. So, but how did that work? Because clearly Quaid has no memory of Molina. That had to be Hauser making the memory.
0: Right. Oh man, this is hurting my head. Just thinking about it Me too. Oh man.
1: So if he's Hauser and he goes to the mutants in the first place to try to win their trust, he can't do that because they're psychic. They know he's playing for the other team. Oh, man. Because we just, know that Hauser.
0: That's, that's a wrench into the whole thing. You're right.
1: Hauser is, a, yeah, it's like so far removed from those plot points, all the behind the scenes shenanigans that I guess we're not meant to worry about or think about that too much. Obviously, with such a cool movie and good performances and good direction and great effects. Yeah. it's just I'm just trying to think of like the order that this could happen. Because if they wipe his mind beforehand and he goes to the. Martians, then they know he's this blank slate and is innocent, but he doesn't have those memories. Maybe they wipe his mind twice.
0: But he's still able, he still goes to see Quato as as Quaid. Quaid. And Quato is able to cyclically read his mind. Right. And show or find out or discover that the the alien um uh, contraption, or what I can't remember what they call it, uh, exists. It's going right. to melt the ice core and and give an atmosphere to Mars. Give this people air. So, like that information is still in his head as he's quade. So, so I don't know what that means. But <laughs>
1: like right, it's just buried in there. That information is buried in there, which they would have known as psychics, right?
0: Oh uh, man, see, uh, uh,
1: that, but, that's the hard part. Is this whole like martian revolution I, I i think standing alone as its own trying to find out who he is, is is such a good mystery in itself like honestly most of the time you don't need the martian stuff right the martian stuff is cool to have and it really reminds me of they live in like this little cell of rebellious people trying to fight against this uh overbearing government but um Yeah. I'm just trying to picture like the order of events. I, I guess we're not meant to think about it too much.
0: That's just it. I think this is why so many people over the course of the development of this movie were arguing about the third act because it does sort of take this twist where all of a sudden now the focus is on this uh, reactor. That's what it is. The reactor Mm -hmm. Uh, and bringing this, uh, you know, atmosphere to Mars and how we get there is a little, I don't want to say convoluted, but we just sort of like all of a sudden turn and that's what we're doing. Right. Like all of a sudden we meet Quato. He tells them of this reactor thing. And now we are on a mission to go find the reactor. And Right. And
1: by that time, like, do you care about the reactor? Do you care about Ale and Moz? Right. Not, not really. You really just care about... Arnold and Molina.
0: It's why, it's why that I think there's a stronger argument to be made that this whole movie is his recall, um, adventure that he paid for.
1: Yeah. Because I have a much news. more enjoyable time thinking about it in the Verhoeven argument, which when he's, when he did the commentary with Schwarzenegger, I guess he was more in the dream camp and Schwarzenegger was more in the,
0: it's real, it's real. Camp. <laughs> oh, interesting. They both, they both disagreed with each other, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I,
1: because I, if you think about like that, I just, I think what makes it enjoyable there is that like everything he wanted comes true and it's like, it instantly comes true is right at recall itself. Yeah. Like it starts malfunctioning. And like in my head, I'm thinking, oh, this is just part of the memory.
0: Well, that's just it. Even before it starts malfunctioning, Melina is shown on the screen as the girl that he chooses.
1: Well, Melina is in his dream as the opening act of this whole movie. Oh, you're right. Yeah. (laughs) So you're like, wait, did he dream the end of the movie right now? (laughs) Or is this what he is becoming, right? Coming into reality with. And Mm. oh my gosh, it's, I think, hey, it, you know, what? it's coming back around full circle right now, this yeah. understanding and misunderstanding and not be able to, under, to unpack this puzzle. So it's like it's back to a good movie.
0: Yeah, it is. It's a good movie. Yeah,
1: (laughs) it's just a good movie. Oh, man. I'm going to have to ask Aaron about this brother of the show, Aaron, because he's also a big Total Recall fan to the point Mm. where he really likes the quote we'll talk about in the next part of uh, your chosen scene.
0: It is one of those things when you start to peel it back and try to logically fit the puzzle pieces together, you realize that some of those pieces just don't fit. And so you have to kind of try to fill in those gaps yourself with your own ideas and, and uh, it's, uh, I think it's, I think it's made that way on purpose. Like these, there's some ambiguities there that are meant to exist. So in that regard, it's kind of fun because you can have these conversations and no one is really right. No one's really wrong. And that's kind of cool. Right. There you go. All right. Well, let's get to part two of this scene. Have Um, we,
1: have we, have we finished the, the, the part one, do you feel like?
0: I I think so. I touched on all the things I was going to hit on. Um, oh, the only other note I had there was they really waste a lot of Uzi ammo on those rats. <laughs>
1: on those rats. <laughs> and I don't think it's said in the script itself. I'm not really sure. But I, I have to think that he's eating a Mars bar, right? It's
0: got to be. I mean, it kind of looks like a Snickers, but it's got to be a Mars bar. If it's yeah. not, I'm really disappointed. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's not a Mars bar. Like, what are you doing? Of course, of course it'd be a Mars bar. I, I It looks just like a Snickers and a Milky Way on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, he's, he's get, you, get your ass to Mars. Get your get ass Mars. to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. Oh, oh, I remember. Okay. So the little trivia I saw was um he, Verhoeven left that part on a loop on purpose to really drive to the audience that he's going to Mars because – As we know, there's no scene where he's boarding a shuttle to Mars and fastening a seatbelt on the spacecraft to Mars or looking out the window in space. Which, if I think about it too much, I think that would be really cool to see Verhoeven (laughs) vision for that. It would probably be freaky as hell. Probably space travel is very unpleasant in this vision of the future, I imagine. Right. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I'm glad all you sorts it. of space turbulence and people's heads splitting open on the journey <laughs> over
0: how great would that be yeah. <laughs> it would be great not for them but for yeah. us I, i'm glad you brought that up because that is something that i forgot to mention that that's one of the other reasons why i like choosing this section of the movie is this is where we transition from earth to mars yeah um, and that little get your ass to Mars ass gag ass. is really smart get and and does just make a nice transition. We know exactly ass. where he's going. I mean, this whole get movie, we've Mars. known he's going to go to Mars. So we finally realized, yes, here's the part. We get to go to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll talk about it. But we get some really cool exterior shots of Mars as, he mm-hmm. is, as he's landing. So uh, let's get into part two then. This is going to be... A uh, minute 43 and 26 seconds, all the way to 47 minutes and 44 seconds. All right. So we fade into a spacecraft landing on Mars' surface. Cut to a wide shot of Mars' surface and the destination for the landing craft. We see a red planet complete with craters, a space monorail, bucket wheel excavators, <laughs> a landing pad. Possibly a spaceport under that landing pad and people in spacesuits in the foreground working on a building. Cut to inside the spaceport and we see customs agents checking in the newly arrived travelers. A voiceover welcomes travelers to the Mars Federal Colony. No smoking. Do not touch the (laughs) airlocks. A custom agent calls next and we cut to a metal briefcase being picked up by a woman in yellow. The agent asks for her passport, and the woman in yellow hands him the passport. The agent looks over both the passport and the woman in yellow. We cut to a Mars officer and two soldiers passing the agent and the woman in yellow to meet up with the incoming Richter and Helm. The officer tells Richter that Cohagen wants to see the two of them, and the officer, Captain Everett, tells Richter that they haven't seen Quaid since Richter lost him. Pan back to the customs agent, and the woman in yellow as the agent asks the woman how long she'll stay on Mars. How long is it going to be, John? Two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah.
2: Two weeks!
0: Cut to Helm and Richter walking to their transport when they see Quato Lives spray-painted on a crossbeam. The captain explains that the Martians love Quato. Cut back to the customs agent stamping a woman, the woman in yellow's passport, and he asks her if she brought any fruits or vegetables. This time the woman answers with the same answer as before, which is two weeks. Yeah. Two
2: weeks.
0: <laughs> two weeks. Yeah.
2: Two weeks.
0: Two weeks. Yeah.
2: Two weeks.
0: And starts to back away from the agent. She starts pulling at her own face, repeating two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> two weeks. Two Over weeks. it. <laughs> two weeks. The legs are getting weeks over and over again, and the parting Richter overhears her. He turns to see the woman pulling at her own face before she looks right at him. Richter guesses that the woman is really Quade. tells the captain to get him, slash her. The captain, Richter, Helm, and the officers run up to the woman, who presses a button in her ear. An apparent wig falls off the woman's head, and then her head opens up in, a mechanic, in mechanical segments, revealing Quaid's head as he lifts the fake head off his body. The officers and soldiers stare in amazement before Quade throws the head at the soldiers, one of whom catches it. The head explodes, and Richter shoots at Quade, accidentally shooting out a window to the outside. This new opening starts sucking everything outside towards the surface of Mars, including peeper, peeper, people, papers, and possibly luggage. The customs agent, who is really responsible for all of this, stretches to reach a giant red button on a console, and the blast doors lower to cover the windows, allowing all of the people inside to fall back to the ground. Quaid takes his leave by rolling under a lowering blast door, cutting off his pursuers. For now hmm great synopsis you wrote there john
1: hey thank you very much nice so, very
0: detailed nice and long but uh, we got all the pieces in there yeah well done oh,
1: good stuff and yeah we you had a basically a two-part scene you picked out i just wanted to keep it two parts and not do like a a
0: third i like part it. that's
1: yeah i yeah. like it because yeah I like really fits it. So well done picking this scene <laughs> and I don't know what's, what stands out to me right away is uh, the use of miniatures to show oh, Mars's surface. It is just delightful. It is. A I treat.
0: love it's, this shot so much. I yeah, such like an just, appreciation for this rewatching it.
1: If you want to travel to Mars, you were like, I want to go see this on Mars. I want to go see, you know, boring ass excavation, but done on Mars. Like so cool. I want to ride in a Mars monorail. Oh, yes. Yes. The <laughs> monorail stands out to me. We have a, the, the Lego space monorail from the 80s still in operation <laughs> here at the Zabriskie house. Yes. I love it.
0: That's awesome. Um, it I'd is even... so cool, though. It is, it is really gorgeous work. It's a combination of miniatures. I think the background is a matte painting of some sort. Oh, yeah,
1: I, I, it has to be. But yeah. the way it's they just,
0: like, the way they put it together.
1: Yeah, they fly in the spacecraft at first, and it's going. It's appearing in front of Phobos and Deimos, the two moons of Mars. So, like nice. you're instantly knowing without being told, Mars 2084. That this is Mars. That we are going to Mars.
0: We're going to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. And a great, great sound effects for the spaceship. Mm-hmm. And that great score kicks in. It's something we haven't talked about yet, but I really like the score for this movie. And anytime they show exteriors of Mars, we get that. I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of a sort of a higher pitched um, score that just kind of gives it a, a mysterious, eerie feel. Um, I love it. Every time I hear it, it just brings me into the movie.
1: Oh, it's it's very orchestral and yes. it's not action based. It's it's very uh, 2001 Space Odyssey kind yeah. of reach to say, "Hey, this is space. It's grand. It's <laughs> right. it's massive. It's bigger than any person could be." Um, but just just yeah, just loving the the setting here with like actual Earth technology at play in terms of monorail, which is of course we know futuristic. From the 50s and 60s, and not really used anymore, yeah, um, except for like a mile in Seattle. And yeah, I think it's, it it it's just a novelty,
0: and, you know? yeah, it's just a
1: novelty, unfortunately.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, the like you have your like uh people just working on the tower there with like a, their spacesuits on, and they're clearly welding something.
0: Yeah. They're just working away in the foreground. Yeah. Just doing a their job excavator. It, yep. Yeah, it's, it's a blue collar planet, you know, yeah. with a all lot this- of expensive, uh, technologies. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean all this real life miniature work, which, um, I don't know how movie budgets work, but what I was reading is it really added to the budget of the movie. Yeah. Um, all the miniature work, I guess cause it takes so much time to put it together. Um, when you're not just creating it in front of a computer, you're actually building it by hand. I, I saw one of these, uh, not on sale, one of these bucket wheel excavators. It had oh, the wow. credit of the same model used in uh, the movie Total Recall. It's a one to eight thousand <laughs> scale, so it's teeny tiny. But it's um, yeah, it's very it's very impressive to, to see this this, this set design and it's a bummer. We don't see more of it, but that's not what the movie's about. Including again, the space travel would have loved to see that.
0: Yeah. Um, I, when I was watching that behind the scenes thing, um, this, this scene, uh, this exterior shot was originally not supposed to be in the movie.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: they were not going to include it because of budgetary reasons and time. Um, but there were a few people on the team that kind of came to Verhoeven and said, we, must have we're going to Mars this movie is about going to Mars we have to have some a couple exterior shots of Mars that we can give people for when we transition to that setting and thank god they did because it's just such a cool way to transition to the second half of this film and uh it's just so fun to see the, all the the practical miniatures and you know so much of this movie was was built by hand. And so much of it is of what we're seeing is real practical sets on sound stages. Mm-hmm. that They built in like huge warehouses down in Mexico. And it's just uh, it's filmmaking, a style of filmmaking that you just honestly will never see again. And so it's really cool to see in this movie.
1: Yeah. I, th- I think the closest you'll find to that nowadays is something like Mandalorian or mm. now book of Boba Fett because yeah. they make the scenes look so real and the background's so real. But then <laughs> that illusion is a little bit shattered by knowing that a lot of what you're seeing in the background is just like a big screen that they've already put together somehow, either through composites yeah. uh, through maybe some more miniatures, but it's all like pre filmed and just kind of rolling in the background or somehow placed back there in the background. Um, but, but all the same, Star Wars is still like a solid franchise. We're trying to make everything look lived in still and, yeah, look real and, and functional versus like shiny and sleek and, um, not touchable.
0: Right. Right. So we get, we get this really cool, um, exterior shot. And, and what it's showing us is that the, the spaceship is landing. It's docking on the, on the landing pad here on Mars. And we're going to get, uh, our hero entering the. Do you, would you call it an airport? A spaceport? Spaceport. Spaceport. Spaceport, which looks just like an airport. It does. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of white people in this airport. I know. Yeah, yeah, a lot of
1: white people. <laughs> a lot um, of white people. People with a. There's a guy with a camcorder with his wife, supposedly, and was like, hey, honey, <laughs> yeah. "Look, look at this." Like, it's but, funny. Nobody's put, making a big deal that they're on Mars. I love just how business-like this atmosphere is. There's nothing fantastical about this trip. There's no like I heart Mars and like the heart is like Mars
0: right uh, on a T-shirt. It's just people going to Mars. I don't know why are people going to Mars, Jeff. I don't know. It's but you're right. It's very mundane. It's like yeah. It's like when you fly. You know, you're going on vacation. Maybe you fly into a beautiful city like like London or Paris or New York right. city or something. And before you can get to the fun part of the city, you have to deal with this like stupid airport and, you know, fumble your way through it. And that's what all these people are doing. They're fumbling their way through it. They're finding their luggage. It's very mundane. Just luggage. No, yeah. your luggage. You know, why are they going? This is a good question. Why are they going to Mars? I, I, I wonder, cause a lot of these people don't look like workers necessarily. Really. Um, so you presume that they're perhaps tourists, maybe, you know, if Mars is the only planet that has been colonized, uh, it's, it's a novelty. It's, it's a thing you can say you went and did,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? I went and saw Mars. I went and spent, uh, you know, a, a week there and then came back home. I don't know. Why, why would, why would they go to Mars? Right. <laughs>
1: I do not know. There's a lot of business suits <laughs> here, but there's some casual wear too. Yeah. Uh, this is a great scene for just kind of breaking down what in the world is going on. There's a guy with the USA Today newspaper in his pocket. I don't know if you noticed him.
0: Oh, no, nice. No I Later in the movie,
1: it. of course, we see a newsstand that says Mars Today and it's red instead of.
0: Yes, pink. nice. This little screenshot you posted of the airport—it's really yeah. funny how much the the lady—I don't want to say the fat lady because that feels mean—but okay. she really she sticks out. Like she's taller than everybody else, yeah. and she's in that big yellow jacket and yellow suit jacket, I guess. Red, red hair, yeah, red hair, big scarf. Like she and she's kind of taller than everybody. Yeah. She, she really sticks out in the crowd. Yeah. Really
1: sticks out. She has quite the unique face, as we'll see yeah. uh, later on. But yeah, this would <laughs> this would probably stand out to customs, I imagine. Was this whole thing to back up to connect it to the previous scene? Was this all just inferred when Hauser's talking to Quaid over the video? I don't I don't remember any part of the video where it says you're gonna have to dress like a fat lady.
0: Nope. Yeah, <laughs> none of that. That's a really good question because <laughs> He he breaks the laptop when he's done with it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we heard all the instructions that he's given, unless we're to presume that there was some instructions he gave that we didn't hear. But right. that, doesn't, that doesn't quite check out. So like the questions are, where did he get this elaborate suit mm-hmm. where the head can come on and off? in this really strange mechanical way and also turn into a bomb. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Where did he get it? And how does he know how to use it? Um, these Must are the manual questions. in
1: there, you know, <laughs> some kind of instruction book.
0: Maybe this is a common thing in the future. This is something, <laughs> this is something that you can purchase if you have enough money.
1: Oh, no, I don't think it is. I think the way that, people are reacting in this shot later is totally giving away. This is,
0: this is weird.
1: (laughs) This is some high tech stuff for a sci-fi people like us.
0: And let's not uh, mince words here. This is weird. This scene (laughs) is weird. This whole, (laughs) the whole idea of doing this is weird. Um, But it's, it's also like, again, it's one of those things that makes this movie what it is. Like, this movie wouldn't be the same without this whack-ass scene. This is crazy.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's still playing with that kind of idea of body horror without it yeah. actually being like a human living body. <laughs> right? just, yeah, what
0: would the Cronenberg version of this been? Oh, my God.
1: Oh, you just see all the blood and guts if it was Cronenberg. Yeah. Be, right? It would just be, just be like a person inside a person inside a person. It's like, <laughs> oh, it wasn't Quaid at all. Oh, no, like if you dig deeper, it's Quaid. Yeah. Um I do want to say did you watch the the reboot the remake of this?
0: Oh gosh, I think I made it 15 minutes into it and I was like nope, I'm out.
1: Well it was it was on Netflix last night and I just I did the thing on Netflix I love to do which is like 10 second 10 second 10 second oh, jump. Just
0: just jumping ahead.
1: Yeah, just to catch all the beats and the 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 remake is a remake of this movie. It doesn't have it's not doing anything new with the source material, unfortunately. So it's not really? expanding on that at all. It's like, it's expanding more on Quaid's relation to what's going on in Mars. But that, again, that was never like my. But he doesn't uh, actually go
0: to point. Mars in the remake, right?
1: Oh, I thought he does.
0: Oh, he does? Oh, okay. I could have. You know,
1: I don't know. I jumped around quite a bit. <laughs> but all the characters, no, not all the characters are the same. Some of the characters are the same. Melina's there. Mm. Lori's there. I really like how they basically turn Sharon Stone's character into like a Lori slash Richter hybrid where she's mm. like the dragon the whole movie. She's constantly coming after Colin Farrell. And I just love that. Um, <laughs> it does take away the kind of triangle dynamic. And there's nobody under Cohagen in that movie like trying to uh, – usurp serve him which mm. is what Richter feels like sometimes in this movie.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, but uh, f- for the most part the movie hits all the beats including this scene. There's a shorter version of a lady with red hair wearing yellow. The guy asks her at the desk how long are you going to stay? She says two weeks. And you a fan of the original film are thinking, "Wait, is that Colin Farrell and that little woman?" Yeah. But no, it turns out that's just like the throwaway reference to us fans and you are now directed to look at the person behind her in line. And that's who Colin Farrell is disguised as. How
0: long are you here? Two weeks. That kind of stuff drives me a little crazy though. (laughs) My God. Like why make, why make this remake? If you're not going to do anything like that, interesting with it and just like throw in a bunch of fan service where you're going to make callbacks to the original movie. It doesn't make any sense. Like just watch the original movie. Like, yeah what is the oh man it, there's no
1: have... mutants like instead of just it's just like a rebellious <laughs> cell led by bill Nye, who's great but is like really underserved and there's not like a huge cult of personality like quato is shown to have here yeah and Cohagen i will say cast it as brian cranston not bad um but it's just it's just too much yeah fan service referencing not even it's weird to call it fan service when it's just like uh hitting all the exact same beats. It's not right. telling and, a new story. It's not a sequel by any means. It's just starting over fresh. And that's so weird to roll. me.
0: Like if you're going to do a remake or a reboot, like take the source material, but do something interesting. That's different. Like yeah. make a movie out of it. Like it, the, the original source material is a short story. Like there's a lot of different ways you can go with it. <laughs> Yep. Like, don't just retread the first movie and then throw in a bunch of little references so we go, oh, look, the two weeks lady. Ha ha. Right. Like, what the hell. <laughs> like it's, oh my God. Yeah. I, I don't mean to be a grumpy uh, movie watcher, but man, that, that kind of stuff drives me a little crazy.
1: Instead of pulling the bug out of his head in the remake, he, he just kind of pulls the cell phone implant out of his hand. And it's, it's it's just a really bad-looking effect. It doesn't oh. sell. It's PG-13, for one, which really hurts the Ooh. movie. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. It's like the whatever, the stepdad made this movie. <laughs> it's just trying to appeal to the kids like, hey, it's still cool. It's still hip, right? Mars, two weeks. <laughs> two exploding, weeks. but not exploding. <laughs> hey.
0: Um, uh, b- so before – we get to the um the great special effect here i have to point out that when richter and helm are like walking through the the airport Mm. uh, they look up and they see the quato lives spray painted on the beam there Mm -hmm. and one of the guys one of the henchmen maybe it's helm i can't remember goes look at that shit look at that shit (laughs) And the way he says it always cracks me up. Look at that shit! And right after he says it, I always say it right back to the screen. Go, Look at that shit! Look at that shit! Mm-hmm. Oh,
1: it's it, it's some good stuff. It really sells the disdain that that these guys have for this character, yeah. and like how also what I like, and how also there's like multiple things going on for these bad guys. It's not just. Quaid, 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 Quaid. But it's also like, oh, there's like this crap going in, going on. Look at that shit. On Mars, at the colony that we have to worry about and deal with. And they do. They have to, you know, kind of side quest it and they're on their own little side journeys. Uh, yeah. Richter and Helm like trying to help put down the rebellions and chase Quaid at the same time. I, I really enjoyed that kind of a little bit of dimensionality for those characters. Like, oh, they have more going on.
0: Yeah, they do kind of round out those characters a little bit more than just being a, a two-dimensional bad guy.
1: Look at that shit. You know, yeah.
0: They're one-dimensional bad guys. One, di-
1: they're still bad guys. Yeah. Look at that shit. Right.
0: But there's a little more going on there. They've got some different motivations happening, some different, like you said, some, some different things pulling them in some different directions. Look at that shit. Yeah,
1: I like... Um, uh, the with the casting you have a lot of interesting character actors throughout mm-hmm. the movie and we've talked about a few of them um here's another one captain everett i love this guy the guy wearing the beret clearly he's like the, Martian, <laughs> the, <beret. laughs> the, beret, the like the Martian military man who's just seen it all yes like knows what's going on and like yes here comes these maybe higher ups it's hard to tell uh, I, I think they're slightly higher up than him in the food chain but he can still bust their balls and like well
0: here's what's really going on while you're you know is that the guy that says, uh, we did it until you lost him, yeah? And he's like, Watch your mouth, Captain. Watch your mouth, Captain.
1: Not since you lost him. Watch your mouth, Captain. Ooh, that's, <laughs> that's a good irony. Side, that's a good jester. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but this is let me look up. I, because I, I, I was doing a dive, a deep dive on him a little bit, like I was trying oh, yeah. to figure out who this guy is, Captain Everett. And then uh, his name is Mark Alamo, or Alamo. I'm going to say Mark Alamo. Um, not in a ton
0: of things. He is in Tango and Cash. Tango and Cash.
1: He's in Tango
0: and Cash? Tango and Cash. Cash.
1: Yeah, really briefly, it looks like as, uh, what was it, Lopez? Or maybe that's not a brief role. Maybe that's a expanded role. Maybe he's a henchman of... Jack Palance. I was like, what is the guy who says Tango and Cash? What's his name? <laughs> or Brian James. Maybe he's on that level yeah. of like being a, a thug. He's pretty high up in the cast list, actually. He's right after James Holm From Is
0: he above or below Robert Zadar?
1: <laughs> he is above.
0: Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> Robert <laughs> Zadar is the guy that looks like he swallowed a horseshoe.
1: <laughs> yes. No, I know Robert Zadar, you know Robert Zadar. Robert, yeah um, samurai <laughs> cop.
0: <laughs> yeah. Samurai cop. Yeah. Amazing. But, uh, this
1: guy really, Mark uh, Alaimo really hit a stride in star Trek, deep space nine as a character gold Ducat slash officer Ryan. I think he was in 35 episodes. So he would oh, be something after start, you know, once he hits the star Trek game, he is well on his way to the convention circuit.
0: Mm, good for yeah. him.
1: So good for, good for Mark Alima. And, and He just has such a cool look in this. He's like, he looks like a GI Joe figure. Yeah, so he, he does. Yeah. Just, he has a little bit of attitude. He doesn't actually die in the movie. That's never seen. So we don't know his fate.
0: Right. He gives uh, Ironside some shit. That's good. Not since you lost him. Watch your mouth,
1: Captain. Yes. Yeah. Love that kind of character. Just yeah. kind of shows up, has a little bit of attitude. And you don't really know their fate. So in your headcanon, they're, they're still alive somewhere. They're,
0: they're still alive. They're still, still out there like running Mars. Yeah. Yeah. Running <laughs> Mars. <laughs> Following orders. Um. All right. Should we talk about this iconic uh, special effect here?
1: Yeah, let's let's do it. So after um, after Arnold has asked more than one question, <laughs> he somehow doesn't have a program that answers multiple questions, like or just a no, like you know the Arnold soundboards from the early two thousands. Know, oh like, yeah,
0: yeah. I'm a cop, you idiot. I'm Detective John Kimball. I'm gonna be able to press those Fuck buttons. You asshole. I I always assumed that. Something happened and there was just a malfunction here. Oh, sure. You know, sure. like... like he,
1: he didn't press the right soundboard key. Rubber baby buggy bumpers.
0: Yeah, or you know, whatever device he's wearing just, I don't know, had a really bad timing. And when it decided to go kerplunk, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this whole sequence is, again, sort of off-putting. Yeah. You feel the same way, like... When she starts shaking her head back and forth and she does Mm -hmm. it kind of quickly and she's saying two weeks, two weeks and starts grabbing at her mouth. I remember seeing that as a kid being like, like, what is going on here? Like, this is weird. And then she really starts stretching at her mouth and really starts pulling on it to the point that it looks painful. We get this great moment when Richter kind of turns and sees what's happening And we get this moment of realization on his face. And when we do, the camera cuts and we get this really hard zoom that goes like, it zooms like all the way across the airport right into her face as it's like still shaking and like, Mm -hmm. and she turns her eyes and her eyes look right at the camera, like right at us or presumably like makes eye contact with Richter. And that's Mm -hmm. when we know, oh shit, this whole thing is going to go, poorly
1: right do, do you think when you watched this at first you knew this was quade busting out of some suit like before the suit opens up
0: yeah that's a good question you know it's you know i saw this probably when i was like 11 or 12 mm-hmm. so i don't remember what my initial reaction was i'm i'm guessing that i did not know that who the hell watches this and for the first time was like oh quade's gonna come out of that head you know, like it was, it's, it must've been a total surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Or like uh, maybe you realize that it's a disguise, but to the, you don't realize like to what extent.
1: Yeah. Off-putting, especially cause it's like a human body doing all this. Yeah. It's like a live human actor doing all this. I, I imagine she's wearing just a ton of extra makeup to give her that uncanny look.
0: Right. She's gotta be. Yeah
1: this is what like a a person would wear. They would wear this much makeup or they'd make wear this much eyeliner. Um, They would dress this garishly, I guess (laughs) if if it's a female.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then, so she hits the button on the side of her head and the cylinder like thing slides out of the side of her head and then it slides back in. And as it slides back in, the, the wig sort of falls off and now she's bald making this even more strange looking. And at the same time, as this is happening, her face looks really rubbery and like almost droopy. Mm -hmm. And in this moment, you can kind of tell that this is no longer an actual human. Like this is an animatronic model, Mm -hmm. but it's done well enough so that it looks almost human, Mm -hmm. but it's also not. But if you think about it in the movie, it's not supposed to be real, right? It's like a suit. So it it kind of works, right? That that sort of it's almost real but not quite lookness to it actually kind of works because in the movie it's actually not real. So it's all kind of brilliant how it plays out.
1: It's just unpleasant. It's like a wax figure come to life and yeah, then being totally. yeah. deconstructed in front of your eyes. You're like, oh, this is all sorts of bad. I don't want to watch this. Like like it's like watching a mannequin and you know like a crash test dummy
0: yeah come to life yeah <laughs> that's unsettling
1: i don't want to look at that i want to see right this humanoid figure being split apart the, the sound effects are great too because she kind of goes from uh like like yelling like it kind of sounds like natural yeah. sounds to so like a very robotic yeah stuttering glitch kind of sound just, ah, da, 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 da.
0: <laughs> the way described it as like a mannequin sort of come to life, I think is a good way to put it. Or if a mannequin came to life and then it like it's layer of skin got all weird and droopy. (laughs) Like that's, that's, that's what it looks like. And it's all, her face is all like jiggling. And then, then we get the reveal where the cylinder goes back into her head and the camera kind of cuts. So we just are looking at it straight on and we get the reveal of this, this head sort of mechanically pulling itself apart in these little like, how would you describe it? Like staircase sections that, that pull apart almost like a zipper.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't want to describe it like that, but yeah, it's kind of like a giant zipper. Oh God.
0: <laughs> and inside we see Arnold's head and this is the, this here's the fake head we were talking about before. Right. So oh, it just looks hideous. Yeah. And it's, I have to think it's the best they could do at the time, but man, it doesn't, that's, of all the special effects in the film, that shot of his head that's supposed to be real and unfortunately just doesn't quite hold up. Like it looks like, it looks like a model, unfortunately. It yeah. Yeah. Do you is is that whole thing like stop and go animation?
1: That's what I keep thinking on I'm watching this many times in a row. Like when the head starts splitting apart, yeah. I, I think that has to be some kind of miniature stop motion. Yeah, but then you have like hands go up and it's like real hands are touching it. It's like wait, wait, what a second? Yes, in the same shot, it like catches it and then pushes it back together. I don't know how they're doing it if they're maybe having to individually animate each of these surfaces. Cause the head goes back together into the fully formed woman's head, right. which he throws and then becomes animated again. It's like, Oh,
0: it, it's, you know, it's pretty incredible. Like f- the special effects work that went into that in 1990, mm-hmm. it was pretty cutting edge. Like that was a, that was a state of the art effect, I think at the time. And although yeah. Arnold's head doesn't quite look right, it's still like pretty Good. The whole thing has this sort of artificial feel to it, but we've seen it so many times that we we catch these things. But if you're just watching this for the first time and you're watching it in real time, it only lasts for like a few seconds. And, right. You know, and when you saw this when you were eleven years old and or whatever in nineteen ninety, like that what that scene was crazy. <laughs> it <laughs> was nightmare like, fuel. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> And then, you know, after that, so now he's just, I love how, how calm he is holding the head, like almost with a smirk on his face. Like, ha ha, look what I did.
1: (laughs) Oh, when he throws it and says catch to the people, he's smiling. He's, he's just having a good old time.
0: Yeah. He just apparently just knows he's going to get away with all this. He's not worried at all.
1: (laughs) No. Yeah. There's no opening fire. That's why I was thinking maybe this is a technology nobody really ever sees. Mm. Is because they're so taken aback. Like, all oh, the soldiers are just standing there. The officers just standing there. Yeah, mouths mouth a gape. Agape. Yes, just oh. <laughs> <laughs> he throws the head and catch. I guess the head stops glitching so much, and it remembers that oh, it's time to blow up. So maybe he pushed the button right before he threw it to the officers.
0: Yeah. So, why is the head also a bomb? <laughs> Get ready for a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> How did he get through security with a a bomb on his head? Yeah, I don't Um, know. You have to
1: imagine there's some kind of security on Earth, right? That he had to go through. So.
0: How did he get through security wearing like a mechanical suit? <laughs> no, <know.
1: laughs> it's just hopefully they only answer, ask questions that could end in two weeks. Two weeks, right? <laughs> how long are you going to Mars? Two weeks. Two weeks. Like how long you've been vegan? Two weeks. Two
0: weeks. weeks. How <laughs> long uh, do you need more time to finish your your chicken?
1: Two weeks. <laughs> two, <laughs> two weeks. weeks. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. We'll um, give you the two all weeks. Right. All right. <laughs> nothing fishy here two
0: weeks how long is half of a month
1: two weeks (laughs) what's two fortnights in a row no what's one fortnight equal what's
0: one fortnight
1: two weeks two weeks two weeks two weeks I'm going to have to drop in a whole bunch of two weekses.
0: weeks. How long is uh, winter break? <laughs> two weeks. Two weeks.
1: <laughs>
2: two weeks. Oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> Fourteen days. I wonder if there's a unit for that. Two, two weeks. weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. <laughs> two weeks.
0: Oh, he, well, he was able to get away with it until the old fruits and veggies question yeah.
1: two weeks. I, I, just just before we move on to anything else this is a favorite line of uh my brother aaron uh for ever, as long as this movie's been out it's a line we'll trade off sometimes like hey how <laughs> long was that da, 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 just setting up the other person for a two weeks <laughs> two, two weeks I mean, how long are you gonna be gone two weeks two <laughs> weeks so we just instantly go to the two yeah. weeks
2: uh,
0: i love that i love that yeah oh well um gosh i feel like we've really we've really done it here today
1: we've yeah been- i guess i mean the the final part here that's in the scene is that richter shoots the glass because he's more or less just a big dummy right? yeah just yeah. kind of a meathead of a thug like i'm just gonna see something i'm gonna fire at it um production design really comes to life to tell you Mars is different than Earth. If you break the glass, you're sucked out, and you're <laughs> you gonna get die. sucked
0: out. Yeah, this whole sequence with the where everyone starts flying up and they're grabbing on stuff, and I really like it. It's actually a pretty cool special effect. I always crack up at the people that fly out the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's one guy that does like a serious like front flip. Like while he's fully extended, like oh,
1: <laughs> yeah, I see him, you know,
0: no. just whoosh, 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 just like a big windmill. He just flies out the window. You get the classic, like the guard that grabs on but just can't hold on and Fla-! flies out. <laughs> and all the while, we got Arnold in the yellow dress grabbing onto that railing and holding on. And it's a really funny shot that they pull back and Arnold's like in the dress with the with the big brown boots on like the women's like, boots.
1: <laughs> it's just weird he's not in like some action
0: yeah, star
1: yeah. get up he's just in a goofy disguise just <laughs> trying to expl- trying to survive the explosive decompression on yeah whatever explosive
0: compression on Mars. Always makes me chuckle, and then our our homeboy uh, finally finds the big red button,
1: yeah. um,
0: and uh, smashes that, and we get all all the airlocks close, and conveniently, our boy is able to roll out from underneath one of the 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 doors and get away for the moment. Right. Yeah
1: very Indiana Jones kind of exit under the sliding door.
0: Yeah. And then one of the henchmen, or uh, Richter says like, open the doors. And then the, what's that guy's name? The guy you like? Captain Everett. Captain Everett. Isn't it him that looks at him and goes, they're all connected.
1: They're all connected.
0: Yeah. They're all
1: connected. They're all connected.
0: I've always loved that. They're all connected.
2: They're all connected.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Rick must hate this guy he hates him not since you lost him watch your mouth captain
1: <laughs> one of the soldiers totally like runs towards the broken window before he's like pulled <laughs> into the air and he has to catch himself with the railing <laughs> he's like, don't run that way dude <laughs> of all the places to run
2: <laughs>
1: all the exploded windows on mars Oh, man. How did they, did they talk about how they achieved this effect with Arnold? Like making them look like that as a wire work. Did they turn a room?
0: You know, I was, I was disappointed in the behind the scenes or the making of thing. Cause they talked a lot about like set design and like the lead up to the movie. And then they just kind of did like this m- sort of like a series of quick montages right in the middle where they just sort of like said, and then we did this effect and they would show it, but not really talk about how they did it. And then they would cut and oh. be like, and then we did this effect and show it, but not really explain what they did. Right. I mean, they gave a lot of credit to Rob Botine who did a lot of the effects work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they didn't get into the details of how they actually pulled off a lot of these effects, which I, I was a little disappointed by. So no, they didn't explain um, any of the wire work or how they made this or... They really had a big giant fan blowing everyone around, you know? Right. I was, I was really hoping they would get into the details of how they did the exploding head, um, the two weeks lady, but they didn't. And uh, it was kind of disappointing. So I rooted around the internet for a little bit, and I, I couldn't find a good video or explanation uh, with people talking about, like people from the movie, right. talking about what they did. So we'll we'll uh have to cross our fingers that we'll get more information later
1: well shoot because i'm always curious because again this is like the image that's burned in my mind i know hanging on that railing as he's lifted into the air and <laughs> almost out into the mars surface
0: yeah yeah <laughs>
1: jeez I, mm. I have to imagine my guess is it's wire work because they show the transition of him being pulled out to him falling um After the guy hits the button, it's like all the one take where one second he's held up, being pulled out the towards the window like horizontally, and then as soon as the door closes behind him, he falls. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking some kind of strong wires there.
0: It's gotta be. Yeah, I think you're right. It's gotta be. And then they just throw in some fans, some sound effects. Yeah,
1: or or they actually went to Mars. <laughs> Got their asses to Mars, and they <laughs> blew out a window. They,
0: they <laughs> constructed a dome and then blew <laughs> out a window.
1: Arnold's really committed. Get your ass to Mars. Okay, make it quick.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's like all for the sake of a movie. All this space exploration it's really so can just make a buck.
0: Fuck it, we're going to Mars. <laughs> we're getting our asses to Mars. Asses to Mars. We can build a dome. <laughs> we blow gonna, it up. It's gonna be great. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Well, we're getting close to two hours here on this episode. Um, What? I know. We should uh, briefly discuss uh, 1990. Unless you have anything else to add, we we can talk about the top 10.
1: Oh, last thing is The Lady in Yellow is played by Priscilla Allen, a longtime theater actor in San Diego, San Diego,
0: San Diego, a whale's vagina. Uh,
1: <laughs> but she, and she wasn't really in anything else. Um,
0: that's good to note. give her some credit.
1: Yeah. 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 Oh. Instead of just calling her fat lady. Shouldn't do that. <laughs> no. Yeah. That,
0: that would now. be rude. Not dead. funny.
1: <laughs> yeah. be terrible. Not funny.
0: Not funny at all. It's not funny. Uh, highest grossing films of 1990. Mm-hmm. Number one, the surprise hit of the summer was Ghost. 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 I forgot that's how, what Patrick Swayze was doing. That's what he was doing. I forgot how big that movie was. People love that fucking movie. People um, loved it. Number two was Home Alone. Mm-hmm. Number three, Pretty Woman. Mm-hmm. Dances with Wolves. Total Recall. Mm-hmm. Back to the Future Part 3. Die Hard 2. Presumed Innocent. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And another Arnold movie... <laughs> Kindergarten Cop at number 10. Yeah. Pretty good year for movies. Looking at that top 10, looking at the uh, other notables, a lot going on in 1990. This is a pretty diverse list.
1: Yeah. I I imagine I've, let's see, I have to think about my theater going. Definitely saw Back to the Future Part 3 in theaters. Definitely saw Ninja Turtles in theaters, Hunt for October. Yeah. And looking at the other
0: movies. I think I saw Kindergarten Cop in theaters.
1: Yeah, I might have seen that in theaters. I don't know. That might have been. Yeah, maybe, maybe for me. I'm not really sure. Ernest goes to jail. Probably saw that in theaters. <laughs> Seriously, we saw all the Ernest movies growing up. My family loved it.
0: They love the Ernest movies.
1: Love Ernest. But yeah, Edward Scissorhands comes out this year. Godfather Three Minute Work. That's a that's a fun little oh, movie. I there. loved that movie when I was yeah. eleven. Yeah. Dark Man by Sam Raimi. Hmm. Um. Young Guns Two, Flatliners, Exorcist Three, Another Forty Eight Hours, Bird on a Wire, Dick Tracy, Days of Thunder, Ghost Dad with Bill Cosby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh no. Uh,
1: Tremors, of course. That's a oh, classic.
0: I was hoping you'd mention that. Yeah. Yes,
1: love Tremors. Yeah. Uh, and let's see last I'll leave on is Blind Fury which is <laughs> right hour as a blind samurai
0: that movie I've never seen it but I've seen the cover looks amazing it's
1: so goofy. I do believe that's where he cuts off a guy's bushy eyebrows in one yes. scene and you're like wait is this a serious <laughs> movie or <laughs> uh, what
0: uh, you skipped over a Goodfellas
1: oh yeah Goodfellas I, I've never been a Goodfellas fan just <sighs> Too serious of a movie for me, but hey, you know. Oh my god! I, I know it's a classic. I, I know that. I know it's like top, top, top of you know movie making for some people. That's oh, great. It's,
0: it's amazing film. Uh, it is. It is a serious movie, but there's a lot of just great stuff in that movie. I man, and it just cooks. That movie just moves from one scene to the next. It is fantastic.
1: I, I always like the the just the menace of that one scene where Robert De Niro is telling. Uh, who is Lorraine Bracco, to go to the back. He's like, oh, the good coats are in the back. And you're like, oh, my God, like what's going to happen? That, that to me, plays almost like a David Lynch scene.
0: Right. Where there's like,
1: oh, there's some menace there, but they're not showing anything. It's just all
0: implied. And that's when, yeah, she realizes that she needs to leave. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's it's time to go. It's time to
1: (laughs) pull an Arnold and... Get, yeah. get
0: the hell out of Leave here! Leave
1: the scene. Get the, Get my ass to Mars. Get your ass to Mars.
0: I noticed you skipped over some notable uh, part twos.
1: Yeah, this is this is something we talked about in Predator minute days when yeah. at ninety. But you have a lot of uh, a lot of part twos this year, including Die Hard two.
0: Yeah, Die Hard two. You got of course Predator two. Predator two. You've got Robocop two, Gremlins two. These are all good part twos. Yeah, uh, Delta Force two. <laughs> child's play too that's a good part too uh troll 2 not good but um but beloved
1: is that the one that's like famous for how bad it is
0: yes okay and the kids like oh they've eaten you <laughs> oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to eat me next they're going to eat me next <laughs> like narrating what's happening yeah
1: <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, so funny,
0: though. Oh. <laughs> oh, I won't take up too much time here, but you've also got Young Guns 2, you got Exorcist 3, The Gods Must Be Crazy 2, uh, Rocky 5, Psycho mm-hmm. 4, um, I think, oh, Godfather 3, you already mentioned. Yeah, a lot mm-hmm. of good sequels there. 1990 was a fun year for film. I, um, I think there's a lot of a lot of good ones to check out in 1990.
1: Yeah. We're still more or less in that kind of, uh, mm, not necessarily blockbuster era anymore. We're more in the just kind of like, we'll make movies for adults. Yeah. You know, like ghost and pretty woman dances, dances with, with wolves, wolves to a yeah. degree, even though I'm sure a bunch of kids had to see that like in middle school and high school <laughs> in the nineties. Yeah. I didn't thankfully.
0: Yeah. presumed uh, Yeah. Recent. yeah yeah Yeah. number eight that's crazy
1: Total Recall let's say is uh, (laughs) more probably appropriate for adults than kids yeah
0: yeah for (laughs) sure Um, different time different time Uh, back when R-rated movies made the top ten of the year
1: yeah made the top ten multiple times
0: yeah 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 all right. Well, um, I'm glad to see our movie of this episode make the top 10 list with a worldwide gross of $261 million. And Arnold got 15% of the profits. So <laughs> good job, Arnold. <laughs> good job, Arnold. Yeah,
1: he's, he's doing well for himself, making those good decisions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we need to transition to our last couple segments, our mm-hmm. most popular segments of this show, clearly. Right. Really. This um, is why people listen. Let's just jump to here. This is why. Now, this is actually going to be a very tough one, I think, for me. I don't know mm-hmm. for you, but our recurring segment, Is It Better Than Predator? I'm going to throw it to you, John, because I still think I need to come up with my answers. Do you have a decision? Is it better than Predator
1: uh i'm gonna say in a lot of ways yes in terms of like the violence but and in terms of just like making you intrigued in the mystery but i think i don't know i I think i have to go with predator again if they're both sitting on the table it's a tough choice because like the movies have a lot in common in terms of um being those kind of over the top shows of action where they're definitely going the extra step to make things more brutal and they're mm-hmm. making things more far-fetched. They both have, well, predator has like the sci-fi mm, leanings with the predator itself. Uh, but this movie is going whole hog on the sci-fi. So I don't know if you, if you like a really gory kind of mystery action movie, total recall. Uh, but for me, just kind of in my own taste, liking the kind of slimmer, refined, A to B movie. I think you have to go predator, but if you're going to make an A to B movie where they go to Mars, I think this is really well done. I think it's a solid movie that uh, really moves. I think um, this scene you chose is a really good indicator of that. um, Yeah. Because the guys hunting for Quaid uh, find him because the Johnny cab he was in crashed and exploded and it crashed and exploded because he was having the commandeer, the Johnny Cab. So one thing was clearly leading to one to another, just really quickly mm-hmm. uh, to me when they hit Mars and it becomes kind of about the Martian revolution, that's where it just kind of loses me a little bit. I don't care about the mutants, sorry to say like
2: mm-hmm.
1: love the mutants and their look and their design, but um, they just, that, that little through line doesn't do it for me. And with predator, you just are just, we're trying to survive the predator and that's it. Everybody we know is here. We're not cutting to any other storylines because Sometimes you can lose the, the momentum cutting to other storylines uh, and it just tells that one story. And I think it does it well enough or I would just choose predator
0: over it. Mm. Fair enough. Fair enough. You're right. <laughs> yes. Like uh, predator. I mean, is so the storyline is so straightforward. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's no ambiguity there. This is a really tough one for me. You know, you talk about the, the test where like the two movies are sitting on a table which one do you choose? I literally have both of these movies on in 4k on my shelf. And I can literally make that decision if I want to. Mm -hmm. Um, If you had asked like 12 year old me, like what are your top Arnold Schwarzenegger movies? I probably would have gone T2 followed by total recall, followed by predator. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know if that has changed for me. Um, Total recall holds a, if you had asked me back then in the nineties, I, I saw total recall way more times than I saw predator Mm -hmm. and I loved predator, but total recall was always stood out to me because it was so weird and so different than any other movie I'd ever seen. Mm -hmm. And the special effects were so strange and it was like weirdly violent And you couldn't, you didn't know if it was real or a dream and, and yeah, that third act kind of goes off the rails a bit and you're, it it gets a little convoluted in what's going on in the story. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think for my sensibilities, I, I like weird and I like the strange special effects and the fact that this is like a huge budget practical effects movie one of the last of its kind that we're ever going to get right and um i uh i'm going to give it to total recall for me this this is uh this is high up there like i said this is high up on my my list of favorite movies and so it's uh i'm going to give the nod to total recall today
1: sure okay i can understand that
0: yeah yeah um okay i meant to i meant to
1: ask do you think it's a dream or do you think it's real
0: Um, Over the years, I've come down on the side of Dream. Okay. Um, And it mainly comes down to, you know, that scene when he's at the recall facility and he's choosing his adventure. And the name of the adventure is Blue Sky on Mars. Mm -hmm. And he chooses Melina Mm -hmm who literally shows up on the screen is <laughs> the exact same woman. Right. And we get that transition where they stick him with the needle. The camera zooms into him in the chair. And then as the camera pulls out, that's kind of when the movie turns and mm-hmm. now he's in secret agent mode. So I I've decided over the years that, uh, I think it's, it's all his, um, his recall secret agent vacation that he's paid for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I'm not, like, digging my heels in or dying on that hill. Like, you can certainly make arguments one way or another. So, um, if, if with a gun to my head, that's probably what I would say. But, uh, again, like, Verhoeven purposefully left it ambiguous. So, I don't think there's really a right or wrong answer here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Have you ever – do you come down on one side or the other?
1: Uh, like, my brain once emotionally this to be real for arnold and yeah performing all these crazy adventures but like when i think about like my logical brain is saying no no it has to be a dream because it kicks right in like you're saying (laughs) that's because they start the recall process where they're like we didn't even implant the memories at or we didn't restart the process or whatever And it's like well i think they have by then and then the screen fading to white at the end is meant to be his waking up from the dream, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But
1: then, but then that just makes me want to see more of a movie following Doug Quaid around like, okay, what part is real? What part is fake? Like, is there this kind of drama going in on Mars? Mm. How do we explain like all the side things going on off camera? Like when mm. maybe Richter and Cohagen are talking in a completely different area. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's yeah. So I want it to be real, but I think
0: it's a dream. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair yeah. Enough. Um, all right. Well, I think we're starting to wrap things up here. Should we do some quick recommends?
1: Let's do it. Quick recommends. Uh, Jeff, what do you have to recommend?
0: I'm going to quickly recommend a, a podcast that I have been listening to lately. Um, I actually just uh, finished, I think, its first season. Um, it is a podcast that's hosted by the um, actor and comedian Seth Rogen. Hmm. Um, and it's called Storytime. And uh, each episode is about a half an hour long. And uh, Seth Rogen just has a guest on who has a crazy story to tell. Huh. And uh, that's the episode. And, and that person tells the story. But it's also like a really well-produced podcast where they kind of have the person tell the story. But sort of Seth Rogen sort of uh, comes in over the top with some voiceover stuff. And they do some... Um, Uh, Some sound effects and kind of they really produce it to sound um, like this really kind of tight, concise uh, telling of a a crazy story. And uh, they're good. They're funny and interesting. um, And uh, it's a quick, easy listen. Each episode, like I said, is about a half an hour to 40 minutes. And uh, yeah, check it out. It's called Storytime with uh, Seth Rogen.
1: Okay. Uh, Was there a particular story that stood out to you?
0: There's one, I think it's the last one of this first season that's about a bear attack that is absolutely insane. It's about a guy that goes on an overnight hike by himself and ends up running into a grizzly bear and he tells the story of what happens next and it is crazy. It's definitely the story that stood out to me from that season.
1: And these are true stories?
0: They are true stories. Ooh. Yes, yeah, they're okay. all true stories. And nice. Some of them Looks are like,
1: like it's...
0: oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Some of them are kind of sillier and more mundane, um, and some of them are like more like serious, like that one, like this person got attacked by a bear.
1: <laughs> okay, neat.
0: Yeah, they're pretty good. I- I'd say check it out. I think there's like six or eight or ten episodes, something like that, in their first season. Okay. Um, and they haven't released one in a little while. So I'm, I'm guessing that that was like the first season and then they'll be coming out with more later if um, if it was deemed a success, which I think it was.
1: Cool. Storytime with Seth Rogen. Looks yeah. like it's an Earwolf podcast. It That's is awesome. on the
0: Earwolf podcast network. Yes. Nice.
1: Yeah. Um, cool. Well. I have to give that a listen sometime yeah it's uh, good
0: it's good for uh, it's good like driving podcasts for sure nice yeah
1: nice that's that's probably one I could listen to with Sarah as well because yeah she'd probably like to it too. share the stories and yeah She just, she's not necessarily digging like a whole bunch of movie talking podcasts yeah. like I am but
0: no they're good it's like good human interest. like some of them are funny some of them are more serious some of them are like about relationships uh, but they're all like just good stories told in a good way Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what do you got for us, John? What are we recommending this week?
1: Uh, well, Star Wars just put out the first episode, I guess the first couple episodes of the newest show, the book of Boba
0: Fett. Ah, and, I got to watch uh, and, it. I haven't watched it yet.
1: I'll go ahead and just give that a recommend. I've only seen this first episode and I've heard a lot of mixed things about it, but uh, I've enjoyed it. It's just all about the transition of Boba Fett from the end of the Mandalorian series where you see him, Um, killing Bib Fortuna, who was Jabba's right-hand man until Jabba's death in Return of the Jedi. Uh, And you see him just kind of establish himself on Tatooine as the new crime lord. Mm. And we know very little from the first episode. It's a lot of flashbacks about how he survived the Sarlacc pit, um, how he survived being in the desert amongst Jawas and Tusken Raiders. (laughs) Um, So it's it's just, just a fun little like new origin story about a character who's, who's had a huge fan base over the years. And it's really the fans who brought the series to life because, uh, or, and, and I would say the fans who brought Mandalorian to life because Mandalorian is really just based on the idea that Boba Fett was such a popular figure,
0: right.
1: Make a show about the same kind of guy. Um, and hopefully, you know, hopefully it takes some twists and turns and we see some familiar characters and learn about some new friends or foes. I'm really excited to see where this season or where this show takes us. I think it's only going to be six episodes long, seven episodes long, maybe. And I don't even know if it's going to have a season two, but I'm really excited to see where they go with it. Book of Boba Fett, Disney plus.
0: Awesome. I'm definitely going to be checking it out. It's on my queue. Um, I just gotta, my, my wife, uh, and kids are not interested. So I got to find time when I'm by myself <laughs> to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, I think the time is here, John. Uh, I've waited over two hours for this and I'm excited to know what our next movie is gonna be. Are you ready to reveal our next scene from our next movie?
1: I am ready. Sorry, I'm just rewatching the Dr. Edgemar scene where Arnold sees the trickle of sweat and he's like, boom!
0: God, you head know headshot.
1: Like that is the most cold blooded that's more cold blooded than him taking out his uh, his fake wife in mine. <laughs>
0: We talked about this movie for almost two hours, and we didn't talk about that scene. And to be honest, like that scene, I I chose the scene I chose today because it's so iconic and it's got lots of cool stuff to talk about. But I think that scene is actually my favorite scene in the movie. Wow. Okay. I, I love that scene. I love how it challenges quaid to decide is this real or is it a dream while it's simultaneously challenging the audience to try to decide is this real or is it a dream right and just the whole interaction the dialogue the way those characters interact with one another it's so good i love Mm -hmm. that scene it's it's probably my favorite scene in the movie
1: awesome yeah it's it's quite the yeah, it's it's quite the turning point. It's like a second turning point where he's making yeah. that choice. Is is this right? Like you're saying, dream or reality? It's to me reminds me of the Matrix. It's like an evil Morpheus trying to make you wake up by offering that red pill.
0: Right, right.
1: Um, so I have to I have to think. There's maybe a little inspiration for the Matrix in here. And I mentioned this to you maybe off the pod, but I watched the Matrix <laughs> right after this movie uh, <laughs> for a, another story about. Twin realities and, mm. and that idea of are you dreaming or is this reality? Uh, it's it, it, it's definitely a fun one-two punch. Nice. Yeah,
0: that's we need, a need to talk about
1: this. Yeah, great double feature. We need to talk about. Oh, and I, I say if you want to end on a good note as a triple feature, I would say after Total Recall and The Matrix, watch Truman Show because there's another oh. little okay, yeah, there fake go. reality going on. But
0: nice, yeah,
1: yeah, much more pleasant setting, And <laughs> kinder characters and. A lot, a lot more jokey jokes that you feel good about laughing about.
0: Sure. That's a good triple. All right. Nicely done. Yeah. yeah.
1: Boom. Triple down the line. <laughs> um, gosh, I guess I'll give you a couple hints. Uh, Ooh, okay.
0: I'll see if I can guess. Yeah.
1: And I mean, we're the same age. So we have like a lot of the same, and we have a lot of the same movie taste. So right. I'll, I'll give you a big hint, like really big, like really okay. big. Okay. Oh, boy. Think I'm nervous like, now. Okay. Think of like the biggest satellite dish ever. <laughs> The biggest satellite dish. And it's not in space. It's actually okay. like, it's in a jungle.
2: It's in you a
1: jungle? Yeah, do you know what movie I'm talking about? A giant satellite dish in a jungle.
0: Is that, the, is that Contact? No, it's not no. Contact.
1: It's an action scene. It's the climax of this movie Oh, taking place on a giant satellite dish.
0: <gasps> Why does this sound so familiar to me?
1: Maybe you've played a video game in the same kind of scene.
0: Is this a James Bond movie?
1: It is a James Bond movie.
0: Yes. Is this Goldeneye?
1: It's Goldeneye.
0: Wow.
1: When the
2: world
0: is the target.
2: 72 hours ago, a secret weapon system was detonated over Eye.
0: And the threat is real. Goldeneye exists. A
2: radiation surge that destroys everything with an electronic circuit. You can still depend on one man. I want you to find Goldeneye. Three. Find who took it. Two. And stop it. One.
0: The name's Bond. James Bond.
2: The world's most famous secret agent is back. We aim to please. And this time, 007 is facing the ultimate enemy. The man who knows him best. Hello, James. What an unpleasant surprise. 006. What's the message? No pithy comeback. He was a friend. And now he's your enemy and you will kill him. Is the satellite in range? Target is London. Now, the entire world is about to be caught in the crossfire. See you in hell, James. You first. Kill The pleasure will be all mine. You check her out. Ah, ah. That's it all. Three clicks, arms the fuse. Don't say it. The writing's on the wall. Grow up, tableau o But I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur. A relic of the Cold War. <laughs> you know James? I was always better. Both of you! Stop it! You're like
0: boys with toys. The trick is to quit while you're still here.
2: I wouldn't think of it. A charming, sophisticated secret agent. Shaken, but not disturbed. <laughs> Get us out of here! Bond. Only
0: Bond. The man just won't take a hint.
2: He don't need the gun.
0: That depends on your definition of safe sex. On November 17th... him! United Artists brings you... Trust
2: me. James Bond. Why can't you just be a good boy and die? That's one trick I've never learned. Good
1: catch.
0: I have not watched Goldeneye in probably... What year did Goldeneye come out? 1990? 95. I was going to guess 95. I probably <laughs> haven't seen it since 1995, to be honest. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah.
1: It is It is worth the a revisit because it is a solid movie, and we're going to be taking a look at the climactic battle between Alec Trevelyan, Sean Bean's character, and James Bond, Pierce Brosnan, a, a top... This satellite and I don't have the exact timestamps, uh, but I was watching the scene a couple times today to really nail down
0: nice. uh, when it
1: is, but I'll, I'll send you the timestamp, but okay. essentially it's just going to be them fighting it out. And like, there's going to be little cuts to the headquarters about what's going on with Boris, um, but, yeah, we're, we're going to have a nice little tight fight scene, well, really reminiscent fun. in so many ways of the video games as I was watching the clip. Yeah, I'm like, oh my totally. God, I'm Santa just going to be
0: thinking about the video game as I'm watching it. Yeah. Yeah, um, you're going to be, like,
1: hitting the trigger button, like, come on, come on, come on.
0: That'll be fun. You know, I'm not um, – I like James Bond movies, but I'm not a huge James Bond guy. Like, I don't know a lot of James Bond trivia. I can't <laughs> – you know, some people, like, really are dialed into that. So this will be a fun one to talk about. Um, and a fun one to watch because this will be kind of like a casual uh, movie watcher just checking out a James Bond film and so you'll get some uh, some un, uh, uncensored uh, opinions about a James Bond movie from a a, a, a casual James Bond fan.
1: <laughs> oh sure yeah, yeah. I mean I, I've definitely lost that James Bond love over the years I did I grew up watching especially on TBS they would run these the, the James marathons, Bond marathons. Right? yes and yes, I would, I would yes. definitely tune in when I could every year as a kid to just watch as many James Bond movies as I could I just but remember then, my
0: dad like sitting on the couch like in the summertime just like yes watching James Bond for like eight hours
1: definitely watched a lot with my dad yeah, yeah. Was, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny but,
1: but yeah we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this one this is probably my favorite James Bond movie of uh yeah, all the James Bond movies. I don't think I've seen them all either. I think there's a, a few, like a handful I haven't seen. Uh, but this is definitely top tier for me. And okay. Yeah, maybe the video game plays into that. But at the same time, I remember really liking this movie when it first came out when I was in high school.
0: Okay. All right. Well, uh, I'm stoked uh, to give it a watch. Do you know if, if it's streaming on a, a service right now?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Um, gold, right. we'll, are are we'll there figure any, it like, out. Yeah, I wonder what property James Bond is it MGM something like that? It's it's some big studio that's not one of the big streaming studios. So
0: yeah, 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 um, that might be something
1: that you have to add to the Plex, as it were.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to uh, look up here. Uh, I have this little app that tells me these things. Um, oh, really? What's is there? If
1: there's a specific app for that?
0: Yeah, this app is called. Um,
1: Where are you streaming?
0: Uh, <laughs> something like that. It's called Just, watch. just and, watch. And you can just type in a movie and it will tell you where it streams. Um, if you have to pay for it or if it's free on a streaming service. It looks like GoldenEye is not free uh, currently, but it oh. is uh, streaming in 4K on Apple TV oh. uh, for $6. So that's interesting.
2: Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, oh, anyway, yeah. we'll find we'll a way to watch TV. it as we always do. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I'm excited. That sounds fun. Uh, a little James Bond, our first James Bond movie. That's that's uh, cool. Good choice. So
1: excited. Yeah. You're just, you're just not going to be able to separate <laughs> the video game from the movie the whole time. You're Seriously. Be like, oh, oh, oh. This is the... Oh, uh,
0: oh they're, yes. on the, they're on the dam. They're doing the thing. <laughs> They're doing the thing. He's jumping off. <laughs> He's jumping off the dam. Oh, good <laughs> stuff. All right. Well, should we wrap things up here? I think we'll wrap it up. So, Jeff, where can people find you? You can find me on the Twitter. I am Jeff Glover. You can find me there, Carl underscore Hungus three one four. My name is College Bin Expert. On the Twitter sphere, uh, John, where can we find things all seen it all <laughs> with Jeff and John?
1: Uh, you can find us on the Twitter scene it all underscore. So that's S C E N E it all underscore. Uh, you can email the show scene at all podcast at gmail.com that's S C E N E it all podcast at gmail.com. And you can join the Facebook group, just the name of the show scene it all with Jeff and John, uh, and for everything seen it all with Jeff and John, I've been John Zabriskie and I am Jeff Glover. And until next time.
0: Stick around. Stick around. I
1: thought you're gonna go get your ass to Mars. Get your
0: ass to Mars. <laughs> get your ass to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. <laughs> get your ass to Mars. <laughs> get your ass to Mars. <laughs> Consider it a divorce. Consider that a divorce.
1: Yeah. Oh. See you at the party, Richter. 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 <laughs> Oh, that's a good one. Oh, stick around. Stick around. Stick around. Stick around. You wanna scene, yeah, you wanna scene, like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean. You wanna scene, yeah, you wanna scene, like when Bobby D says you are talking to me. You can go to the diner for a meal with Meg. You can yell at your class, stab yourself in the leg, you can upgrade your boat for when sharks attack, and you can be like Arnold, tell 'em, I'll be back. You wanna scene, yeah, you wanna scene, like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean. You want you wanna scene, yeah, you wanna sing Like when Bobby D says you're talking to me Jeff and John talk scenes in quotes Jeff improvises while John takes notes From Mozambique to Montreal You can join in the chat on scene at all You wanna sing, yeah, you wanna sing Like when the Xenomorph took out Harry Dean You wanna sing, yeah, you wanna sing Like when Bobby D says you're talking to me Scene and all with Jeff and John.